My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. <laughs> Off again this with you. Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, and it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. You know, tell your whole podcast. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Mark Palmer, and on today's show, we have the pleasure of hosting Darren Grimes, host of The Grime America Show, alongside of Graham Dunlop, both of which have joined us on the show before for previous episodes, but this time, Darren Grimes joined us solo to talk about a new book he authored called A Canadian Shame. We also had some time to talk about his bear hunting that he plans on doing and the life and times of the indigenous people here in North America or as Darren says Indian and I think given what we know about word magic maybe we should think twice I don't know I certainly did I always say indigenous thinking that that's the most respectful term but according to Darren word Indian gives him some rights up there in Canada so we got into all the ins and outs of the loopholes and the treaties and all that we also talked about the Mesoamerican and South American connection and how the people inhabiting North America before Columbus came had been there before and probably when the ice sheets that once covered North America when they had melted so stick around for all that and more thank you for being here i hope you support darren over there at the grand america show of course check out his book all that will be in the description and enjoy this episode of the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast stick around for the extended outro with my friend yogi zorananda he brings some hope wise words and a great deal of inspiration to ring in 2022 on the other side of one mountain range of the Rockies. So somehow this fucking rock got over a mountain range and ended up 
you know, just sitting nicely deposited in the fields of Biocotokes. So where I am, where I sit, 15,000, not even 13,000, 14,000 for sure years ago, there's a mile and a half of ice. And it's all fucking gone. Thank you for joining me for a second time. And, you know, just being like a stoner college kid on the brink of dropping out, looking for reasons to enjoy life, going towards books to find that. I was reading, you know, Carlos Castaneda, very, you know, cliche, but also semi-telling book in this realm of shamanism and whatnot. And I ended up meeting a real, you know, someone who could offer me a much realer experience of that world than that book, right? This gentleman by the name of Amos Daly, who just was a a dude hanging out at the park and noticed this Sitting Bull t-shirt I was wearing at the time. And he noticed I was smoking a joint. We started smoking a joint together and started telling me a little bit about his story you know he came from arizona pueblo indian got out of jail felt like he had to you know right some of his wrongs and the way he did that was by coming out to new haven connecticut and praying in front of the skull and bones tomb for geronimo's disinterred skull and crossbones and uh when i found out all about that I was fascinated and him and I became quick friends and he ended up telling me a lot about you know the colonial period and when you know Native Americans that were here regarded the area that I live now as sort of like a garden of Eden paradise type place there's a abundance of shellfish and whatnot and you know a lot of the tribes or bands that lived here in the East Coast ended up retreating to Canada and starting, I think, you know, part of the Six Nations, right? The Iroquois side of that Six Nations group. A lot of them came from the area where I'm at. And yeah, I'm sure we'll get into some more details, but that's, I'm down in Connecticut. Connecticut. Yeah. One of the few states that, that has a native name as the as the root word connecticut means a uh, long story or or long shore river so east coast right east coast right on man well fuck man i went and checked out all that playboy shit down in colorado it was fucking cool yeah oh man is that where they have the like uh like well the only i just went to mesa verde right is that the 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 towns that are kind of carved into the side of the cliffs or am i thinking of a yeah, different place yeah that's right no, that's, that's it right. okay yeah, it was cool we had an event there actually right yeah it's pretty neat did um was owen down there owen hunt or was that no, a different not one yeah this was this was the first event we ever did with the with the guest the okay. first one we did that wasn't just a meetup the first one we charged money for right so that would have been with randall in may of 2019 very cool. Yeah. Last time I was talking to Joe Roop, he was he was telling me I ought to come out to the one in, in really coming up real close to it now in February, but obviously a little late for that now. Tickets I heard were sold out last episode I listened to. But yeah, sounds like fun. Well man. there's some shit up for resale. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Where is yeah. it? 
It's in uh, Pine Top, Lakeside. Okay. Like three hours uh, east of Phoenix. Okay. Yeah, I'm about 48 hours east of there, so <laughs> we'll see. Oh, yeah. I'm not yeah, planning on getting on, on any planes anytime soon, and my Nissan Sentra can't quite make the journey with our transmission but but yeah i definitely it's on my short list of things i really want to do is make it out to one of those meetups that you guys are doing it's really it's really becoming larger than than just an audio experience i mean i've told you about this the first time you're here you know i'm a huge fan of your show huge fan of of the the specifically the synchronicity that i kind of like just experience through your show and you guys get it all the time you know people send you their synchros and you rate them but really for me the synchros culminated into actually having my own podcast in this really cool way so again pleasure to have you here brother i figured we'd roll right into this because i know you have your kids and that you might not have as much time to share with us so folks know you from the grimerica show from grimerica outlawed from adultbrain.ca. You guys got a lot of things going on. And with all that going on, you also have a full-time job. Somehow you made time to put this book together. I'm impressed. Tell us a little bit about what inspired the book. Obviously you have Indian or native indigenous roots, but you know, not quite connected. You don't live on a reserve, right? So you're not in the same community, but Tell us about what inspired the book. Well, really the timing was just right. You know, it's been, it's been sort of in the headlines here. It's finally sort of seeping into the mainstream, the mainstream news in Canada. And that's sort of been, been coupled. And, you know, it's one of those sorts of things that you, you assume is out there already, or you assume that, and there is some other stuff out there. Um, you know, there's a knock on the door. There's a couple, there was a couple stuff. So basically, I mean, we were going to do some shows on it and I was getting ready to just do some research to get ready for it that way. And I found that there just wasn't really a good place to find it all. And, and the books were, the books I could find were, were somewhat either too broad or too narrow and there was nothing or too long. You know, I, f- I feel like anything over 200 pages or 300 pages, especially, but even 200 pages in 2021 is a bit long for most of the audience. I mean, and I think audiobooks are pushing back against some of that, but still even, you know, you know, if people start seeing a 15 or 20 hour audiobook. I mean, I love that shit personally. I love it. I love to give me a 24 hour audiobook, especially if it's good fiction. Because if anyone who's enjoyed good fiction knows, they just never want it to end. But the market is short attention span, or at least that's what they tell us. You know, shows like Joe Rogan and ours and other, you know, of course, ours is nowhere near the level of Joe Rogan's. But, you know, Sam's show, these sort of long, longer form unedited is kind of showing that that's, that's more where it is. But anyway, I wanted to, my original goal was to do it in 100 pages or so. I think I ended up around uh, 160 or 178 with all the bibliography and everything else. So, I mean, that's kind of, honestly, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad, man. It's just kind of, 
because it's not a shit ton of original writing, like out of the 178 pages, it's probably, you know, maybe 20 pages of original writing and the rest is just a lot of mining and researching. Well, and as you put it, you know, a lot of this information wasn't easily available. So it is a, a, a valuable resource, especially to a lot of these communities, which, you know, I listened to a previous interview you did on this topic. He said, you know, a lot of these groups on the reserve, they don't have internet, they don't have websites, you know, so the few that do might have these resources, but to collect it, and put it all in one place is really awesome. And another thing that I'm excited to ask you about that I know you mentioned before was this podcast that Kyle and yourself are working on, The Indian in the Room. Is that still in the works? What's the what's the scoop on that? Is that coming out soon? Yeah, hopefully this year we'll get, get that going. I mean, we've already recorded a, a few episodes of it. I've actually got to talk to Kyle and see if we're going to if we're going to do it as its own podcast still, or if he wants to do it as a mini series sort of off of Gramerica or how he wants to handle that. I mean, everything's been sort of fucking upside down and sideways with COVID and restrictions and, and all that sort of stuff up here. I mean, where Kyle is, is getting really crazy. It's like very Australia-esque in Quebec right now. They've had curfews for quite some, their curfews are back. Right. I believe they were, I don't know if other provinces had curfews or not, but Quebec had curfews before and now they have curfews again. I don't know if it's 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. or 10 p.m. But anyway, you're not allowed out of your house if they catch you. And that shit is like enforced out there, man. Mm. Like forced. Like my sister delivers cars for a living and she was driving through Quebec after eight o'clock and they fucking pulled her over. Wow. And she was like, dude, I'm working. Yeah. And he's like, what are you doing? And delivering a car. Well, not on the list. So you gotta go find a hotel. Wow. She had to pull over and then again leave the next day. So at that time, she was sort of timing her travel through Quebec. So she wouldn't be there at those times. But they're back in full fucking mode right now. And they just announced today that they're going to start imposing fines on imposing fines or they're calling it a tax, an extra tax for help people who are unvaccinated for the extra, for the extra drive on the healthcare system. And of course, the problem with that is Kyle's got his shots. He got them in the very beginning before he kind of came around. But now in Quebec, I mean, they had just, the guy came out and said that by January 18th, if he didn't have, or by the end of January or something, if you didn't have three shots, then you weren't no longer considered fully vaccinated. Yeah. So he's like, I'm not getting anymore. So he's freaking the fuck out. But then I guess that guy resigned yesterday. So Quebec's kind of in uproar and Kyle's in uh, sort of uproar. He doesn't know if he's staying in Quebec or heading down to WM. Kyle and I are Indians, which for the first time in 150 years is coming with some um, perks in these uncertain times. Right. One of which being able to the ability to move to the the United States at any given time. Right. Right. Uh, And when these, you know, treaties and the Indian Act, which I hope we can get into, were established, they did recognize here in the States that right that, yeah, you guys don't 
recognize these borders? What do they mean to you? You've been here for how many centuries doing what have you and these imaginary lines which are still imaginary despite the border crossings and the big fences and whatnot you know really shouldn't apply in any sort of sense so yeah that does seem to be one of the bittersweet you know sort of perks i guess (laughs) well honestly it never seemed like a real thing that mattered because i always had a passport right but lately, I don't even use my passport when I cross. I just use my my treaty card. I just cross with that. And it works both ways. They still give you more grief coming into Canada, like especially now. I think they will, though, because I knew some U.S. Indians that were living up here and working, so I, it must work both ways. Yeah. But I just know that I can head to the U.S. at any time. Now, I wouldn't be a citizen right away, but I'm a permanent resident upon entry. So every time I'm in the States, I'm a permanent resident. So I could just, I guess all I'd have to do is get a SIN number or social security number or whatever you guys have. SSN. Yeah. I'd have to get that. And I just will call it a SIN number though. That's pretty, (laughs) people love that in the telegram. Start working. Yeah. And away I go. I'd so, I mean, honestly, I've never really considered it, but the last six months or so, you know, depending on the direction Canada, the rest of Canada goes here, the next six, 12 months will be a big indicator on whether I stay here or go to Montana, I guess, with my with my kids and and get them out of the country before, you know. Right. Yeah. This shit spirals out of control. Now, I'm not sure the states won't spiral out of control too, but. At this point, there's a couple states that look like they might be able to hold on at least a little bit longer. Right. Like I said, I'm going to give Canada another six months to a year, but if they start uh, mandating things like they're talking about and stuff like that, it'll be time to, to pack out. I mean, I can drive four hours south and, you know, live in the exact same habitat and, you know, probably still come visit eventually. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, maybe not. I don't know what COVID's going to do. In the long run. Well, I don't... But the thing is, if I could have both citizenships, then they can't kick me out of either place. So I could sort of come back here and visit when in the summer because it seems like they open up in the summer and, you know, head back down. Sounds like you're you're returning to the nomadic lifestyle, but I've heard I've heard good things about. I don't want to steer you know you in any way, but I would recommend checking out my buddy Travis Matier because he talked about Missoula, Montana, being a microcosm for the new world order. And then on the flip side, I've heard a lot of good things about Idaho. A lot of uh, truth seekers out in Idaho. Some Owen Benjamins out there. Richard, Doctor Richard Spence is out there. Oh, yeah, I want to start. What's yeah, same with uh, Benny Wells out there. Right, right, right. Yeah, a couple and, other friends uh, have, have moved Gage, out there. Richard Gage is right out there in Sandpoint. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to start giving away people's locations, but but um, it is Idaho is great, but they don't have legal weed. Right, that's that's a big problem for me. I mean, they just made it legal here where I'm at, and I'm kind of we're getting a little flighty with. Me and my lady were thinking about moving to another state ourselves. And yeah, that's on the, that's definitely a, a big check on the checklist is how, what's the Arizona. weed situation? Arizona seems all right. Montana just, I think Montana started rec sales now, January 1st. I think that shit went on sale. Right. Well, you uh, don't, I mean, you don't. I like Montana uh, because I am where I am, right? I know I hunt here. Right. Uh, you know, if I can just drive, be four hours south of here, I'm hunting all the same animals, all the same game, 
nothing really changes. You know what I mean? Whereas uh, going to Idaho would be a bit of an adjustment. I mean, if you keep going south, you end up in Idaho. I've spent plenty of time in Idaho. I mean, I've got the beauty of having done a very good amount of exploring the U.S. So um, there was a time I would have said Oregon was great, but they kind of went <laughs> sideways too. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend anywhere in New England, maybe besides Maine in your case, because you do get to jump over the border so easily. Because what I've noticed is someone who loves to drive around and travel is New York State is a big, if you're in New England where I'm at, you're pretty much, you got to go through New York State to get through the rest, to the rest of the states. So, yeah, I don't, New That's England's feeling a little tight. Way out west. Right, right, right. Yeah, you're yeah, not I coming out this out. way. I could be in California in probably like 24, 30 hours. Not bad. Maybe less. I don't know. I've, I've only been to California twice, and I've never gone more than like 60 miles into the state. Right. Just well, as far enough to go play in the Redwoods, and that was about it. They have weird rules, and I got in trouble for having bear spray. This, I remember when we were pulling into California, they, like, you had to pull off to this thing so they could search your shit with mirrors, and it was just, it gave me a real weird vibe. That I've place. heard that, especially, like, they're really big on checking to see if you got any fruits on, you know, when you go into California. That's, that. It's beautiful, though. Right. It's beautiful. beautiful. Well worth it. Right. Yeah, like I said, I've never gone more than 60 miles in or so, so I doubt I'll... I mean, my buddy Dave's trying to get me down to... He's down by San Diego, I think, but we'll see. A lot of friends in the podcast community in, in San Diego, for sure. Shout out to the Higher Side Chats and Skeptico podcast. But, but yeah, I mean, you brought up hunting, and I know that's something you've been doing a lot more. It's definitely something... I would say that could connect us all to our roots, but specifically indigenous cultures, you know, we're hunting and you got to imagine when these, you know, changes happened, being disconnected from the land played a big toll on, you know, the disenfranchisement that occurred, you know, with these people all across Canada and the United States, you know, being disconnected from their original land. A lot of people got displaced and put on reserves and reservations. That's a big part of what you talk about in your book. Do you feel like getting back on the land and, and hunting yourself, there's a sort of uh, mimetic or genetic sense that you're tapping into, something that's like really close in ancestry compared to maybe someone like myself who's, you know, you know, the the child of, of immigrants from New Brunswick who came to Connecticut to get a job because, you know, the British over there in New Brunswick weren't very kind to the French. You know, it's tough to say. Uh, I definitely enjoy it. I mean, but I mean, I know a whole ton of white dudes that I hunt with that Love that shit too, right. you know? And I mean, the beauty in Canada is, and I don't know what the rule is, probably varies state by state. It varies province by province too. But in Alberta, I can, if you've got a status card, you can hunt all year. So already you don't have tags, you don't have quotas, you don't have seasons. You can just sort of, I could go grab my rifle now. I mean, it's too cold. Now, Pretty and cold. that, that, I mean, what I hear when I hear you say that it's, it seems like there's more of a responsibility and it's not just, you know, you guys were here first, but there's a preservation 
that's involved in the type of hunting that goes on in indigenous cultures where you're not, you know, taking animals for granted and just shooting them at like game like they did in some of these, you know, buffalo hunts that took place here in the States in the 1800s. Well, the big problem with that is they were just shooting for hides. Right. You know, they weren't even, you know, it wasn't uncommon to shoot a hunter buffalo and eat as much meat as you could sort of eat that night. You didn't have refrigeration, so you just sort of left it there. Right. You weren't, it wasn't for the meat in most cases, unless you're close enough to a town or a settlement where you could get it to market. You were mostly just taking the hides and for the most part, leaving the meat there. Not in all cases, but in a lot, a lot of cases, that was the case. I mean, the interesting thing is I can hunt whenever I want. You find yourself hunting in the seasons anyway. They're there for a reason in the spring. You know, there's some things I'll hunt in the spring. The things you know are boys. So like spring for me is a good time to hunt rams because they never lose their horns. I mean, really the spring is good for rams and it's good for bears. And bear hunting. You really, going on any bear hunting? You know, bear is bears are are more there's bears are bears were a more important food source than anything else in the taming of America and Canada. Because I don't know if you've eaten any venison or elk or I've eaten venison. My uncles out here, here do ve- hunt venison, yeah. So unless you're eating like every part of that moose you know the nose the tongue the organs all the organs you know you're not it's not as bad as a rabbit but i'm sure you've heard of rabbit starvation where you could eat fucking rabbits for the rest of your life and eventually you'd starve to death and it wouldn't take long you know a couple of months you'd starve to death because you don't have any fat rabbits are the leanest the leanest meat i don't know if you have you ever seen that show like alone no is that about the people that go out? It's like a game show, but they have yeah, to survive. Well, yeah, they drop you off in the middle of fucking right. nowhere by yourself. And and you see, like, dude shoots a moose. Another guy shoots a muskox in the one season. Another guy shoots a moose. So they've got fucking hundreds of pounds of meat. And they're still losing weight like crazy. That's because there's no fat on that fucking meat. And that's the problem with deer and elk. I mean, it's great. I eat that stuff, you know, most of the time. We didn't have wild meat tonight, but we have wild meat most nights around here. If we're cooking, if we're not ordering out or eating out, which was harder to do in 2021 than 2022, I guess now, than it used to be. But we eat a ton of wild meat. I've always got freezers full of wild meat. I forget where I was going before. Well, I'm, I'm curious now what that fat source would have been for the early people before oh, the colonial oh, period. A lot of bears. Right. Bears have tons of fat in them. Right, right. Bears, ducks, geese, fish. Right. Fish are very fatty. Right. Yeah. So bears, you know, especially, you know, not just the Indians, but you know, Lois and Clark in those days, you know, would have been a lot of bears, bear fat, you know, people cook down bear fat, duck fat. I don't know if you can just buy bear fat. I just have duck fat in my fridge that I don't make myself. I I do hunt ducks, but I haven't got into rendering down fat yet. Mm. I'll probably start this spring. I want to shoot a bear this spring and I want to render all of it down. So I have like a jar of bear fat. 
right. for cooking with and, and all that kind of stuff. Now, is there a special protocol that you would use to hunt a bear as opposed to something well, like an elk? first bear. Right. So, so we'll see. But I have not shot several bears. Okay. Like when I was out hunting other game. Right. Like what I shot, I shot a moose last, last, last probably June. I shot a moose. And, you know, me and my buddy Brady sat there with my sights on a bear for probably 45 minutes, just sort of watched him go down to the water and hole, get a drink and go back up. You know, yeah. you don't want to really take your eye off him just in case he never saw us or she never saw us or was, there was no cubs, but I wasn't a uh, hunting bear. And the thing is, I want to be prepared for a bear. Because I want to tr- do, I want to try tan and hide and everything. Right. So that's why it's good to be in the spring and not in the fall or winter when it's like, it gets fucking cold here, man. It's like, it was minus 40 Fahrenheit a couple of days ago. Damn. For like, you know, a while. And now it's warmed up, but in the spring, I, I do want to, I don't want to take a bear until I'm prepared to tan the hide and uh, do that whole thing, make myself a rug and utilize a, like I say, I'm going to eat all the meat. I'm going to take the hide to make a, a rug out of, and then I'm going to render the fat out of everything that's left and, and use that as well. Beautiful. Yeah, I, um, I'm impressed and I'm excited to see what happens next. I remember in, in 2019, it'd be funny if I was listening to the Grand America show when this happened because I was listening to podcasts heavily while I was a delivery guy, but I was pulling into somebody's driveway and a mama bear and a cub was basically peering into some you know house in a sort of rural area through the window to see if anybody was home. And I kind of pulled up on them and they went around towards the backyard. I kind of excitedly, maybe I shouldn't have done this, but I got out of the van with my phone, obviously went straight to my phone as a modern instinct, right? And got a little glimpse of them on camera, not a great one, but sort of a three second clip that people might be able to find on the Instagram. But you're talking brown bear, right? We have mostly black bear out here. I've seen a black bear, but I mean, I'm in grizz country for sure. Oh, we wow. haven't bumped into a grizz yet hunting. I mean, you see them driving cars sometimes, but we haven't bumped into one hunting, luckily. I mean, here's the problem is you can't pack a handgun in Canada. Right. I have handguns, but, you know, legally they're not allowed out in the bush. They're allowed in my safe or at the range, and that's it. That's the nature of handguns in Canada. They're not even technically for self-defense. They're for sport shooting. So I have handguns for sport shooting. So actually, in order to own a handgun in Canada, I have to be a member of a range. Wow. And that would be the preferred tactic against a bear attack? Hopefully, you pull well, out a revolver on them, last-ditch effort? What do you, what are you referring to? I've got a to? rifle, and even if you've got one chamber, the problem is it's a bolt action. Right. And it's a super small. And you got a bear charging you down. So you better get proficient with a machete then, possibly. So I think, you know, me and my buddies go back and forth on this. I think (laughs) the nine mil's good. Okay. Because I can put 10 in it. Okay. Controlled, 10 controlled shots. Whereas the revolver, you got six 45s or something like that. But fuck, that thing kicks. Right. So you're like. I've got three to year one. Does that make a difference? I don't know. And do I have three when there's a fucking bear 10 feet from me with its fucking teeth snarling at me? 
Yeah, I my wondering is like how you're just gonna hunt it like by walking up upon it. You're gonna wait up in a tree stand. You're gonna set a trap. I mean, what I are the spot? I'm just I you know I just got a spot. I'm gonna fucking right. hang out. Cool. Hang out in the woods, and I've got a little spot here. It's actually you know a little honey hole not far from the city, where you can go. I mean that's part of the beauty of being in Canada, and I mean. Montana is more beautiful than than Alberta, in my opinion. There's way less people. Like a quarter of the people or less. There's no big cities like we've got here. Right. And uh, But even here, you know, like within, within two hours, you could be in the middle of fucking nowhere. And so I've got some spots where you can see moose, bear, elk, deer. I haven't shot a deer yet this year. Now... I, or, I guess that was last year, so I didn't shoot a deer all year last year. I was going to go out and shoot a deer, but I think the antlers are coming off now, and I'll be all right. I wanted to shoot a deer just for sausage. I'm about out of sausage. Okay. So I might just go elk hunting again instead. Right on. Yeah, I looked over my shoulder because a a couple years ago I got uh, these antlers that I found in a forest I didn't shoot any haven't gone hunting myself haven't even shot a gun but it's not off my list i definitely think i i definitely would and should do it one day no i don't so you know but still young and still haven't uh quite owned my own place yet so those are all prerequisites to that i would imagine but either way moving back to the topic a little bit sort of but what you brought to mind you know talking about place and whatnot I do a show weekly with Michael Wan, someone who you've had on your show, and a big part of his research is looking into the history of a place, and one thing that really stood out in his research and a couple of other researchers that I've looked at is how certain sacred sites or places where Native Americans or Indigenous Americans were you know, congregating or gathering, certain spots that were significant to them, became places like Philadelphia, you know, became places like Washington, D.C., and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So my question is, being there out in Canada, have you seen this happen, you know, with Calgary or places maybe even like Medicine Hat? You know, that's a, a town that sort of seems like it would fit the bill, but but in other places, like, do you notice that colonization wasn't just of the people, but of the, the place itself, something maybe like rivers or, or so on? Well, most of the Western, I mean, there's definitely some problems at the Red River. You know, there's a whole Red River Rebellion and, and, and that. But in a lot of ways, <coughs> we weren't colonizing. So, you know, it's, it's not like we were setting up port cities or, you know, towns on the side of the river you know we were we were very nomadic we were moving around a lot we were you know we were right because we'd we'd be in a band of of maybe a few hundred or a thousand or more you know as part of a bigger nation but but even the band has to break off into smaller clans of 40 or 50 especially during the harsher months, like you might be able to get away with keeping together a few hundred in a camp 
in the in the good months, but when you got to start getting water for everybody and you're not farming, so everything you're eating is hunted or gathered. Now, I think the Mohawks and the Iroquois and some of those out east were doing some farming and they were a lot more, like I think the Mohawks well, it, nations, they were pretty much stationary. They didn't go anywhere. They were farming squash. And the interesting about that is they were farming, you know, squash and tomatoes and vegetables that weren't native to Canada. They were from like Guatemala and shit. So well, their history takes them back to Guatemala and before that, probably even Teotihuacan. Yes, I love that you brought that up because uh, here in Connecticut, there are multiple rivers that go from north to south, and I live really close to one called the Housatonic. And when looking into the old sort of uh, stories of pre-colonial times, you find that the people living here, several different tribes, Pequot, now they're sort of known as the Scaticoke Nation in sort of the past couple hundred years, but they have a lot of stories of the Mohawks who, as you put, were agricultural. They had a settlement, but they would regularly go on these raids where, you know, they would come down the Housatonic River and basically, you know, go to war with the, you know, rival groups that were in this area where I've been exploring. And they had a series of mountains along this river that they would sort of shout to one another a kind of warning like, hey, the Mohawk are coming. So the Mohawk are definitely, you know, prolific through the East Coast. And it doesn't surprise me about that Guatemala fact, because again, going back to Michael Wan's research, he was just telling me about this last week. Um, a member of a South American tribe named Talakiel. He came up to Pennsylvania into Lancaster County and he was looking at these petroglyphs on a rock in the Conestoga River. And when looking at them, you know, because a lot of the, you know, anthropologists, you know, <laughs> take their research with a big grain of salt, they were, you know, not sure what to make of these petroglyphs and Talakiel came from all the way down in Mesoamerica, South America, somewhere around there. And he said, yeah, one of those is a symbol that I recognize. It comes from my language. So there you see, there is definitely, you know, one case and probably multiple beyond that, that unfortunately, you know, have been lost to time that connect all these nations together. You know, you see that these people were nomadic and had a huge trade network, even going into maybe trading with groups like the Vikings or the Templars or the, you well, know, I, I think that, that we like my, I'm, if I do, I did my DNA under a fake name and it came back as uh, native American, but only like, I think I'm 3% or something like that. I mean, I'm not much more Native American by their standards, DNA, than I am Asakanazi Jew. But I've got a whole bunch of Mesoamerican. So I think, and I think, you know, that's kind of the road the podcast has been taking me down over the last few years, as well as, you know, well, I've been taught my buddy Kyle's a Mohawk from Ganawaga, Ganawaga, and him and I are talk quite a bit hopefully he's coming down to arizona with me here in a couple weeks but the creation story of the sky people so we like the the mohawks especially we know they go back to at least guatemala and then our creation story same with my and the anishinaabe creation story 
is, you know, we come from Sky Woman, from the sky. But, you know, Kyle's research has led him to believe lately that that sky might be Teotihuacan. So the thing is that I was talking about with the research in the podcast is that, you know, and, and the mainstream's catching up. The mainstream's going to catch up this decade if everything doesn't fall apart. If we don't lose everything this decade, then the mainstream is probably going to catch up. They're starting to catch up already. Randall's going back on Joe Rogan here right away to talk about his stuff. But, you know, Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson, these guys have in a big way been vindicated over the last decade in a lot of ways, you know, more, more than, more than they've been right more than wrong. And uh, the Comet Research Group is catching up with that. So, you know, it's becoming pretty apparent that, that whatever was going on in fucking North America ceased to exist in almost all forms at the end of the last ice age at the younger driest event, whether it was a comet or the sun or whatever caused the ice sheets. Cause where I sit in Alberta, I mean, I'm only a couple, maybe a hundred kilometers away from the Okotoks erratic, the big rock, the biggest erratic in the world, I, which is a rock that's from fucking like 500 miles Northwest to here on the other side of a Rocky, other side of the Rockies at least on the other side of one mountain range of the Rockies. So somehow this fucking rock got over a mountain range and ended up, you know, just sitting nicely deposited in the fields of Okotoks. So where I am, where I sit, 15,000, not even 13,000, 14,000 for sure years ago, there's a mile and a half of ice. And it's all fucking gone. So, I mean, if people don't know Randall's stuff, it's that that all shit all happened from an event, probably a comet striking the ice sheet someplace and instantly liquefying a bunch of it, sending a whole shitload of it up into the air as water vapor, causing a bunch of subglacial floods, probably causing every single flood myth you know it's not just the bible there's like 700 and some different flood myths from different cultures around the world there's 200 different sunken cities in the mediterranean you know there's sunken cities all along the coasts the bimini road all this stuff starts to make sense when you realize that there was 400 feet of water added to the ocean 12,000 13,000 years ago right Right. And these. Um, so now this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. So there's nothing in North America. So what I think, I think that, 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 that most of us, most of my people, I guess I could, it's only my opinion, is that we came from the South, South America, Central America, Southern North America, you know, maybe Belize, South Mexico, places that somehow were able to survive. Now, my opinion is the only places that really fucking survived were those super high up places, Puma Puka, Teotihuacan, maybe place. I don't, you know, I can't speak for the places. I don't know the globe well enough to speak about all the places. I mean, I'm sure there's places all around. The other interesting thing at the same time, Gobekli Tepe is getting buried and all this stuff sort of happening at once. But I think it's, uh, there's a ton of evidence to support that, that we repopulated North America from the south after the younger dry cement. Right. And that's why there's, you know, I guess in the, in the south, they seem to like, you know, like we were talking, I think it was before we were on recording. 
we were talking about the Pueblo and they had like structures and, you know, the Aztecs, of course. So it seems like if you go far enough south, you kind of get into cities and more organized settlements. Settlements, yeah. Whereas up north, we're, we're very much more chilling. You could almost look at it as it was, we're the Wild West still. Right. Right. <laughs> and there was, there was very much that same thing as we kind of touched on. On this side of the globe where I'm at, on the east coast of the United States, and another thing that really struck me with everything you just broke down, and I appreciate that breakdown, and folks who want more info, obviously go check out Randall Carlson. He's been on your show multiple times and all of his work. But the stones and the sacred stones, it's been a big, big part of my fascination of the past eight months or so. And particularly these stone rows that are everywhere and the idea that maybe they were a part of some sort of organized settlement. And it seems that these stones themselves are very sacred to the people all across North America. And I wonder maybe if that's a, you know, holdover of some kind of knowledge that, yeah, these stones kind of help us understand some truth or also maybe just the connection as you put to the south where these great stone monuments are you know you you are sort of new to this land so you're going to try to gravitate towards the things that are still special to you from home like these great stone you know pyramids and whatnot and all these other great structures that are there you know so natural stone features that we see that seem to be carved and and you know, chiseled at. Maybe that's a, a, a recreation by a group of people who were separated from their original place. Yeah. Totally, man. It's 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 a mess. <laughs> I mean it's it's a real mess. It's been a messy hundred and fifty years, which of course has been the further colonization and and all that is right. You know, the European expansion sort of took its way all the way to Pacific and right. the reserves got smaller and pushed around and moved around. And I'm sure, you know, there was a, there's a, there was a clause in the Indian act that basically said, yeah, if, if there was a reserve too close or if a town next to a reserve grew to be 8,000 people or more then they would, they'd just sort of pack up that reserve and say, Hey, we're going to move you. 500 miles north so that you know this this place can keep growing right right so they had that you know right in the legislation that you know which is another reason for the timing of the book was that you know trust in government and institutions seems to be at an all-time high and people <laughs> seem to think it's you know only ancient history or world you have to go you know but you don't you don't have to go back that far to see when these institutions and governments have been systematically, and I'm not talking woke systematically, I mean, you know, actually systematically destroying uh, people and culture and, and stuff like that. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't blame you at all. The timing is great. And I think folks in our community who have an all time distrust for government are going to gravitate towards sources like the book 
and all of the great information you've put in it to maybe make a case towards their family who might think they're crazy and it's why they might be listening to this show. And uh, yeah, this is like you said, you don't have to go very far back in history to find genocide and atrocity and you know, the same thing that happened in Canada happened here in the States in a, in a different way. And, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, as a boy hearing stories about Canada from my grandparents, you know, growing up in New Brunswick, I was always fascinated by, you know, what their lives were like. So I'd ask them a bunch of questions. And when that Native American question would come up, because I was always curious in that having a sort of family member, a dad's friend who is a member of the Mohegan tribe here in Connecticut. I was asking them, you know, what was, you know, were there, was there a tribe up there, you know, and so on. And they said, no, there was just one, you know, one guy, one Native American guy in this whole town. And given it's a small town, you know, north of Maine, kind of like the closest big city is Kent, Maine. So it's really kind of an outpost kind of place. But when I looked into the history of the place, you know, before my grandparents were ever there, there was a Micmac tribe and, you know, allegedly they have some connections possibly to the Templars and you get this larger sense of, of culture that, you know, pre Columbus times were much, you're, you're dealing with a much more advanced group of people than we're given, you know, in this kind of world's fair narrative of the, noble savage who just roamed the the plains it seems like at least here in the east coast we're talking about people who were very organized and possibly were trading with people as far away as you know northern europe up back into you know the mid early you know 500s to 800 ad right so it does seem like not only were the people displaced but the true history of indigenous Americans, North Americans, totally, you know, wiped out. I mean, and that's why I love what you're doing with Kyle, the Indian in the room, because I think something that podcasting is doing, and you've experienced this, is giving people a connection to a real authentic oral tradition and audio experience. You know, guys like David Matheson are great at, at showing you the the mythologies and the in the stars. I want to see more, you know, indigenous people across the world create podcasts to, you know, preserve all of this oral history that was passed down for hundreds and hundreds of years up until maybe the, you know, Columbus and everything that followed, right? Yeah, well, I mean, and the sad thing is that a lot of that's probably lost forever because I think like the latest evidence is it's starting to look like, you know, because when when for the most part when you motherfuckers showed up we were already on like not my people my people were more canoes and shit but uh, you know the lakota comanche a lot of those american tribes were fucking the crow were on horses right and the horses were wiped out in america way before that. I don't know. I think the horses might have been wiped out of the Younger Dryas that we were talking about early. Right. Don't quote me on that. But, but that was fact, a Spanish introduction. Is, there was no horse. There was a Spanish introduction right. of horses in the late 1500s, early 1600s. So, and now it's starting to look like the introduction of new diseases from from those encounters might have looks like it could have killed up to 90% of the North American indigenous population. So before 
the Indian Wars and before the Indian Act and, you know, hundreds of years before uh, we ever got to that, we were sort of ravaged by disease for a couple of hundred years that, you know, we were sort of earning immunity to. Right. Right. The Spanish and, and whatnot. And, and yeah, it is, it is even more. Uh, because that's what happened to the Mayans and shit, right? Mm. Is is, you know, less of them were killed and conquered than just died of disease and everything else that they had no. Now, I don't know how that works with terrain theory, but I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty. It's probably both, but you can't convince you can't convince me that germ theory doesn't exist on some level. Right. No, and and obviously, you know, things like you know syphilis and tuberculosis and all the other things that were happening. I mean, COVID. I could even yeah. say COVID, you know, we had that event where we had a COVID outbreak and I'm telling right. you that shit got around fast. Right. Right. And it got deep. Right. Because I kept in touch with everyone and who got it and who didn't. And, you know, we got, you know, at least probably 50% saturation. Right. Yeah. Another reason why this book really hits on a lot of points because yeah, that was a big, big event. And that kind of reminds me of something that, person I mentioned towards the beginning of our conversation Amos told me about was before uh, Cortez came and before they really set sail they had some sort of book that basically have you heard this before a book that detailed basically everything about the Aztec the Mayan civilization so they were there was some sort of link you know before Columbus that gave them inside information and obviously yeah that contact there was some sort of find native american shit in tut's tomb yeah that's another thing they found they found new world plants as well right they found like tobacco and things that didn't allegedly come across the atlantic ocean until then and there's another researcher who i'm not sure i don't think you've had ross ben on your show but i definitely think you guys would love his work he talks about an African king named Abu Abakar who traveled across the Atlantic Ocean in like 800 something AD and basically set sail with like, I don't know, a thousand ships, right? And was never seen again. And a lot of people speculate that he might have possibly joined up and, and helped create those, you know, fabulous amounts of gold that were said to be in in south america but who knows i don't even think you need to go that far man i think here's you know and this might be a little definitely off topic and uh speculative but i mean i think there's i think there's a i mean if you look at those currents that leave west africa they go sort of straight up hit that north west or sorry, northeast tip of South America, go blasting through the Caribbean, you know, kind of into the fucking Gulf of Mexico right. or in Florida and all that. So, I mean, I'm like, why did we need to build boats to, to take black people across the ocean back and forth? And, and, you know, not to say that didn't happen at all, but, but they were already here to a large degree. They already here. Right. Yeah. And we just will never, ever, ever, ever fucking admit that because we don't want any Africans having a claim. 
I think that's a big part of it. Claim on fucking American soil. And that's a big part of, you know, the whole indoctrination process that is so tragic. But the idea that, oh, well, these people aren't Christianized, so that means we have the right, you know, God gave us the right to take all this land and this property. That's a big part of the story they tell here in, in New England with the Massachusetts colony and the Connecticut colony is that these colonists had this idea that, you know, they had the right over the land because it was given to them by God. And, and when they realized that, oh, well, these people don't believe in God in the same way we do, they're devil worshipers, they should be banished. And, and you know, obviously the whole cliche, I don't know how true it is. It's probably true to a large degree. But the fact is that, you know, the folks signing these treaties might not have realized that they were signing away the ability to stay on that land. You know, they might have thought, oh, well, now this is, you know, we're sharing this land with you. And unfortunately, in places like where I live, you know, the Native Americans got booted out in short time, you know, only a couple decades. And it was very, very not, you know, it's, it was not a safe place for them at all. And that's yeah, why they end up going up out. to Canada. Starved out. Yeah. Right. And they ended up, you know, grouping up there in the in the Six Nations in Canada, which is, you know, again, another turning point in this story because it, you know, ends up being not really that great up there for them either. Sitting Bull was hiding out in Canada for a while, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, and and that's 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 without even getting into so you guys did the boarding schools and stuff like that whereas in canada we had the residential schools where you know we in the in the mid 1880s we just started snatching up by by threat of violence incarceration snatching up kids from reserves and and i think it was it was 1920 i believe when it became actually mandatory but i think a big problem is because when the schools first came out the indigenous kind of had hope that it was sort of a best intention thing to help sort of merge the worlds. But now once it became, once it became apparent that it wasn't a great experience, then the, the kids stopped going. Right. And that's when the, you know, it was, it was early 1900s. I, I want to say 1920 when, when it became mandatory. So that was it. If you were from six to 16 or older, once you're in the schools, in a lot of cases, you didn't get released until, until the principal of the school released you, which he might make you jump through some hoops or he might wait till you can get married or, you know, there was different sort of weird things going on. But, you know, so that's when once, once we, they stopped going voluntarily, it became mandatory. So that means every Theoretically, every kid in Canada between the ages of six and 16 would be taken away from their parents and, you know, anywhere from 50 to a couple of thousand miles away. And they'd stay there for months to years on end without seeing their family or speaking their language. In most cases, when they went back, they could no longer speak their language. And this went right up until around 1969 is when the big protests and sit-ins started. And, uh, and we started taking back control of the school system. You'll see a lot of people throw the stat around that, you know, the residential schools didn't close to the 96 or something like that. But from, from the mid seventies on, they were 80 for sure. They were, those schools would have been run by indigenous. It would have been indigenous run at that point. Right. 
Right. Which I can't remember the school off the top of my head, but it was a school out West, like I say, in 1970, where the, you know, the parents and the community just had enough. They just went and sat there and said, you know, we're not, we're not leaving. And that was sort of the end of it. Right. I do remember watching a documentary not too recently about that. And I think it was in Arizona or New Mexico, but yeah, there was a stand where a group of people were like, you know what, we're taking this, we're done with this, but yeah, it is, it's, you know, it's tragic and it's something that shouldn't be swept under the rug. It's something that everyone should know about. And unfortunately, you know, going through the public school system here in the States, we didn't really learn all that much about Native Americans at all, other than maybe they inspired the, you know, the government somehow to create the Senate, which I don't know, seems to me like they've made a mockery of, of any good that that was. But there was one situation that I heard you mention that kind of ties into this that I hadn't heard of previously, which is the Oka crisis, which happened with the, the Mohawks. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I know Kyle was there actually when that happened. Yeah, Kyle was there for a few days. So that was, that was, so that's one of the other. Now, I don't know how the system works in the States. I'm pretty sure the reservations own the land in the States. Right. At least now, there might have been some back and forth on that, but don't quote me on anything south of the border. But here in, in Canada, if an Indian wants to own land, he's got to leave the reserve to do it and, and buy it. So when people talk about Indians having land, they don't really, the, the, the land's there. There's a bit of money for housing. There's very few reserves I've been to in Canada that you might want to live. Most of the reserves that I've been to or through, you would not want to live because they're extremely poor, they're extremely no real services. I mean, you guys see those reserves in northern Manitoba. I mean, the the governor of Manitoba can't even bother to lower down the speed limit for the town. So every other town you go into, you know, the speed limit will go down from a hundred kilometers an hour down to say sixty. Well, you go through the town, but then you get up to the reserve and, you know, the, the see where the reserve has put out signs of their own to ask you to slow down because their kids are playing there, but the highway signs are just, right. they don't give a fuck. Now, so that's, you know, because I can't go back to the reserve. That's one of the reasons I wouldn't live on the reserve, you know, even if it wasn't for the poverty is for the fact that I can't go there and buy land. I could buy some land that skirted the reserve. That's then my land, but the reserve is held in trust by the queen or the crown, the federal government, whatever you want to call it. But, and the, and that's sort of until the Indian, in my opinion, that's until the Indian problem goes away. So another thing in Canada is that it's the federal government, the federal government go decides who's an Indian. So when I got my status card, I, you know, my mom fought for it for me. Thanks mom. So we had to go back and f- back and forth with the government for I think two years and my aunt Peggy uh, before we were able to finally figure it out and get my status card fighting with the federal government. Now I'm doing the same thing with my kids, even though I'm an, a status Indian and their mom was a is a, a Métis. The federal government still their their answer to that is just sort of no, 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 no. And you can see what the plan is is that. As soon as there's no Indians left, there's no land problem left. Right. Once we've, you know, so the assimilation process is still ongoing. 
just right. through just through different means. And you know, I, I'm assimilated. I'm I'm evidence of the of the system working, I guess. Now I don't know, you know, I'm not I'm in a good spot. I things worked out for me and you know, they they haven't worked out great for a lot of other indigenous people in Canada now. You know, I don't know why that is. Is that because I'm assimilated? Would I have a, had a, fur, a worse sort of experience if I would have grown up on the reserve? I don't. I don't know. You know, I was lucky in a lot of ways. But that being said, I, I also found myself in a unique position. You know, with doing the podcast and everything else with the publishing company to do the audio books to get it out there without having to go through any gatekeepers. So I did, and and hopefully it worked out and it resonated and I'm working on, on another one now with a lot of stuff from the truth and reconciliation commission from 2008 to 2015, when they, when the government sort of looked into or covered up or, you know, 2008 was when our prime minister officially apologized for residential schools. He didn't mention the church. He didn't mention a lot of things, but the, the government acknowledged their existence in 2008 and and that started the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which started a few thousand interviews. And that's all available online. It's all uh, public access, public domain, a few thousand pages of this and that. But anyway, I found a few hundred pages of just straight up accounts or stories or whatever you want to call it. But just stories straight up from, from people that were in the system. I went to the system throughout the system. I mean, obviously a lot of them are modern because this, you know, is in the early 2000s, 2010s. So, you know, these people are probably at, at the oldest of 60 or 70, maybe we're counting, maybe 80 if you're lucky. So you're getting maybe back to 1940 or so, but still important and still very eye opening. So I'm putting those together right now. I'm trying to put those together into something. I'm hoping to get out here in the next couple of months of, of that, which would just be, and I mean, I don't have any, pro- I, I have plenty of problems with the government. You know, and I think that you should too. And I think that everyone should too. I don't have a problem with, with anybody else. You know, that's not why I wrote the book. It's more about an education thing than an accusation. I don't want anybody's. Here's another interesting thing in in Canada, is I do want some land for my people and for the nations and and for all of them. There's 650 some nations in Canada, are recognized nations, and there's more that aren't recognized. But the government in Canada, you want to guess what percentage of the, why don't you take a guess, what percentage of Canadian land is owned by the government? A hundred percent, I would guess. Well, technically under, because we'd be under uh, British, sort of whatever that law is, you know, like that, but technically they own it all. Same with the States, really. If the state wants the land, they're going to come take it, but Technically, it's it's eighty nine percent. Wow. Okay. Eighty nine percent of the land in Canada is owned by either the federal government or the provincial government. I think it's about 
48% provincial and 40% federal or 41% federal. And we're talking it's the like, third one of, like the third largest country in the whole world. Right? Am I I might be yeah. it's, it's Russia, yeah. China, then Canada. And immense amounts of water. Huge. 88% of it is owned by nobody. <laughs> wow. Um, and so now if you take And how many level, natives are 11% of that over half of it is owned, owned by uh, corporations. Wow. Giant swath corporations, right. oil companies, uh, utility companies, companies that are subsidiaries of the government in some ways. Right. And now, I'm not complaining. We have some of the best public access lands in the world, right? Like it was weird. I don't know if we were recording or not, but, you know, I have paradises within a couple hours of my house where I can hunt and fish. And, and I want that land to stay public. But, you know, we could start with maybe this, how about the reserves on the land that they've got? Right. You know, so and it doesn't get any smaller. Let's because if they own what they've got now, then it's not getting reassessed with because my fear is that, you know, eventually they're gonna do a head count. They're gonna say, Well, hey, I mean they're not gonna do it now because right now there's a spotlight on it. But once soon there won't be again. And it'll be easy to go to one of the reserves and say, Hey, Mishki go gaming, which is my nation. You know, when we made this deal, there was twenty five hundred of you living on reserve. Now there's, you know, there's only 1,500 of you left, and most of you don't live on the reserve anymore. Only 1,000 of you are on the reserve, so it's time to start shrinking some borders. And, and now I think that now this is a weird one because I think that wokeness in some ways has gotten in the way. This is one thing where maybe the wokeness cult has helped in a little bit. Because, I mean, Trudeau's dad tried to do that 69 fuck the white paper that would have sort of abolish the Indian Act. And now I'm not a huge fan of the Indian Act, but it does still maintain our rights to something, right? Right. Something. Some hunting rights, some fishing rights, some land rights here and there, some right-of-way rights. But in 1969, they kind of sort of just tried to scrap all that. Trudeau's dad tried to just get rid of all that. It's all gone. We're back. It's in the, it's in the book. But it's all gone. It's just back to everyone's a Canadian and that's it. And I think Trudeau's sort of got that same mentality in the back of his head, but he got under the cover of darkness. Because, I mean, I've got some inside scoops on when he went to visit the reserve by my hometown, Pekanjikum, and acts like he wants to do this and that. But actually, when he's there, you know, he makes his little cronies come in and make sure anyone that's going to cause any trouble or maybe be drunk or anything like that is removed. Before he comes in, while he's there, he kind of just takes a couple pictures. He doesn't meet with any of the families that are devastated by suicide or anything else. Takes some photo ops at the new power plant and heads out of town. And the power plant's great, but you know what? All those fucking power is going to be shut off in fucking a year because you're dealing with people that have no fucking source of income. They've never really, I mean, dealt. we're talking about... Um, definitely the closer to the land, you know, when these are the reserves that are in the middle of fucking nowhere and you're, you've already kind of destroyed the place and uh, they're just, it's not in their culture to be paying this bill that's coming in and they don't have jobs. And, you know, it's all just sort of this play thing where you're sending them the money and now you're billing them some of it. And it's like, what, what are we doing here? Right. But anyway, Trudeau's a piece of shit. <laughs> so was his dad. But that being said, my my problems with the government and, and stuff like that, not with anybody else, you know? Right. Well, 
my best I, friends are white dudes, you know? <laughs> black dudes too. You know, it's just, it don't matter to me. It really don't matter. It's more about, you know, my, my, they don't, you know, it's, it's making some noise now. So my kids are starting to learn about some of this shit in school, but I didn't learn a fucking lick of it. And before two years ago, nobody learned about it. And before me, nobody learned about it. So it seems important to start cementing some of this stuff in print and in other forums before, because you know what actually was the first fucking catalyst is when I went to the Canadian government website to start going through the Indian Act. And I started trying to go back through the previous editions of the act. Cause right now we're on the, I think the 2017 version of the Indian act, which still legally defines me as an Indian and everything else, which is why I use the term Indian. So someone right in Canada, we're supposed to say indigenous. I still use the term Indian because my card says registered Indian on it. And I'm still governed by the Indian act. I'm still defined as an Indian, but if you go there, you can't the earliest, rendition of the Indian Act that you can find on the Canadian government website is 1985. Which by 1985 a lot of the really terrible shit's taken out and amended and everything else. So I actually, we found an old scanned PDF, Kyle and I, and we paid a dude in India to, ironically enough, to retype this whole old PDF into a new modern file that was readable and everything else and made that available. We made it available for free and as a book. And uh, so the only place, and the interesting thing is I actually found it a couple places later. So the only place you'll find those earlier versions of the Indian Act that I've been able to find them is on reserve websites. So some of those reserves that are a little more savvy have got this document preserved on their website, but um, not on anyone else's. Right. Well, not on the governments. Well, and I think that's that's a noble effort, man. And I think more people should be doing that. I know recent guests that we had on Tinfall Hat, Marissa Baumgartner, has a podcast where she specifically speaks to indigenous people. But you know, with what you just said, I might start using indian again because i do think that the you know culture uses these sorts of word deceptions to maybe get us to gravitate away from an idea and you know you lay out pretty clearly that that term indian does give you some legal rights i wonder how that applies to folks in the states but yeah my heart goes out to indigenous people all over the world because you know here in north america we're not the only ones who have experienced colonization, not just in this time period, but I'm sure it's happened time memorial when empires come along. And that's a big part of what we talk about here, you know, is what the empire's doing. So, yeah, I, I really hope that, you know, more folks out there, specifically on reserves and reservations, uh, start listening to podcasts at the very least, maybe get in, in the loop with us. I remember first learning a lot about this subject through a, a rapper, Immortal Technique, you know, and in that way, you know, media, music can uh, uplift you and, and take you, you know, out of your situation that might be, you know, leading you towards despair. And, and yeah, my heart goes out to all the victims of, of suicide and even the Trail of Tears, which I know we don't have much time to get into, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really a terrible situation and it's unfortunate that 
Justin Trudeau has a sort of a plastic, a superficial approach to it. And we second that. Fuck you, Justin Trudeau. We have some followers and some some supporters in in the Great North. Shout out to our buddy Moon Wolf up there in southern Ontario. But yeah, man, this has been a pleasure as usual. Thank you for joining us a second time. I know you got to go soon, but let us know where we can get the book. And obviously, Grimerica.ca is the place to follow up with the show. I just became a plus member after taking a little hiatus. I was with you guys up until you took off from Patreon, which we might be making the jump away from Patreon soon here with this podcast. But now I'm a plus member, so I'm getting the full two hours of Grimerica Outlawed. So if you're listening to the show, please look into that as well. But where, where can they get the book, Darren? Well, it's on Amazon, of course. If you head to a canadianshame.ca, that'll... There's a little box there you can fill out if you want a, a signed copy, which would be 25 bucks. I'll ship you a signed copy. Or you can get it on Amazon. Uh, you can get a Kindle or a soft cover or a hard cover on Amazon. If you go to grammarica.ca, that'll find you the other podcast and everything else. And then, of course, adultbrain.ca is all the audiobooks. I think we got 35 audiobooks available now, uh, including the entire Charles Fort collection, most of Blavatsky's stuff, Bertrand Russell, Secret Teachings of All Ages by Manly P. Hall. Some real fucking great books that we've been able to mine out of the out of the ancient and make available on audio. And I encourage everyone to go check those out too. I love that. Yeah. My book's available through Adult Brain as well. We made the audio version available so people can get the audio book. It's about five hours, I think, if they don't want to read it. Right on. Yeah. I wonder, you know, about that. I looked into that briefly because I do something with the Patreon where I take, you know, my books back here and I, you know, talk about five of them, put it out in a little episode on the Patreon to give people maybe some books to look into. But because of copyrights, you know, I can't go and and just do a a sort of reading even of a chapter if I wanted to. But with older books like the ones you mentioned, I imagine there's some sort of copyright that gets lifted after some time there. So very cool stuff, man. I'm excited to see how that list grows and, and maybe I'll come across a book that I'll send your way and be like, hey, check this out. Actually, one does come to mind that I know might be good. Architecture, Mysticism and Myth by William Lethaby. Very interesting book talking about. Ooh, what's the date? It's, uh, I think it was written in 1930s, so it might be good by now. A little while, yeah. Unless he died. Within, I think it's 70 years after death or 95 years after publication. Oh, but okay. Disney might still fucking throw Disney. It used to be, I think it, now don't quote me on this either, but I think it used to be 75 years. But 20 years ago, Mickey Mouse was up. So they changed it or something happened and it got changed. Right. Disney got their and, hands in and there. Mickey Mouse, I think, comes out in like a year or two mm. into the public domain. And it's curious to see if if Disney's going to tie up public domain and court again. Because I do believe, if I'm not mistaken, that, that the Disney Corporation single-handedly changed public domain law in the U.S. by a couple of decades wow. to preserve the mouse. Interesting. All right, brother. Well... 
even more information to look into. And Disney has been sort of a little theme in the past five or six episodes. So there you go, folks. Another example of Disney getting their hands where maybe they shouldn't. But, you know, they're a megacorp at this point. So what do you expect? Darren, this has been a pleasure, brother. I appreciate your time. I appreciate the book. You sent me the PDF a couple months back. So thank you so much. And uh, yeah, thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for sticking with us, folks, on Rockfin here on Telegram. And enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now. where we were at last time when we were talking about the sinister yogi stuff i don't know if you know if you've had any time to revisit that but what are your thoughts do you want to do an episode on that sometime in the future if we research uh a little bit more into that because i still have that book (laughs) yeah i do i do really want to do that that'd be great cool Yeah, yeah i i think it would be interesting to look at like the like the history of maybe like the black magic side of things to give people a more rounded picture of like the true occult Hinduism that is, you know, yoga and not to diminish it. Cause I'm not like, I love the occult, you know, I'm not like uh, one of these folks who wants to poo poo it all and say it's evil. I think there's something mm-hmm. to be appreciated even in the dark stuff. Although I'll never, you know, partake in any of that. There's something to be appreciated and acknowledged and learned. So, so yeah, maybe we can revisit that when we're both more prepared on the on the topic. But yeah, man, I feel like a lot has gone down since you were here. Welcome back to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast here in the extended intro. And yeah, we're heading into 2022. And I'm wondering, what's your prediction, your resolution, any positive like intentions you're setting for 2022 that you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky thing to really try to understand how to predict, especially now, even when I look back just in my own life over the last like few years and some of the phenomenal things that I was doing in my life of traveling to Brazil and working with a good friend of mine doing yoga retreats to really wholeheartedly being excited about this whole trajectory of all these amazing events that we wanted to do and hold around the world to suddenly a pandemic hitting and then all of that ceasing and Now, in my own personal life, seeing all these new opportunities come out that have ties to ideas and seeds that I planted years and years and years ago, right? Um, Just for an example, this whole synchronicity around my own podcast and, you know, having the motivation from you to start it and then from doing that meeting someone like Lindsay Sharman and being on her show and her being on mine. And she emailed me one day and was like, Hey, you really need to have this guy named Jim Gale on your show. And that just created this huge new synchronicity of getting back into 
this whole line of work that I was into years ago, just studying and working with hempcrete. And so it's provided this amazing opportunity to partner up with my friend Dion, who makes hempcrete and to potentially work with Jim on building with it. So we're still in the process of like finalizing things, but seeing how this whole last like few years has really altered a timeline that I was on years ago and totally ended these like other kind of ways of, of navigating the timeline or like wanting to manifest these kind of world retreats to putting me back onto this old timeline of working with hempcrete and, and it all comes down to this like podcast that I, that I started and, and how like my book is interwoven in that, how the relationship that I was in was really interwoven into that. And so when I put myself into just where I am now and I look forward, what I started doing is I started just comfortably saying, I don't know what's going to happen. And what I then look at are the things that are just happening naturally. So the job that I have, the kind of extracurricular things that I'm doing, like doing my CrossFit training, going to yoga, and then my creative endeavors of the new book that I'm writing, the podcast that I have. Even though I know those things are happening, I no longer have the tendency to try to project them towards into the future as an absolute given. And that's what the like pandemic has taught me. And that's what, you know, the last relationship that I was in taught me as well is that I can be comfortable with not knowing, but where that places me is a knowing within myself that I'm confident in what I'm doing right now. And it's no longer about, I need to try to manifest something into the future. I just simply live from my presence right now. And I trust that what I'm doing now and what I'm confident in is going to lead me into an abundance and you know how that looks. I don't have to care about anymore. And I trust that it's, it's, going to be abundant it's going to be harmonious right yogi wow summing it up in a beautiful way at that and such a a great statement i mean not quite a resolution for 2022 but more of a resolution for life and i love that because you know i wouldn't be where i'm at with this podcast if it wasn't for that same attitude albeit i came to it from a different angle and haven't applied it perfectly at all somehow I, I stumbled my way this way and what you just said man is is beautiful because there's something powerful in leaving you know and I'm, I'm relating this back to like my experience now leaving your job right because that is in essence what you kind of described being comfortable with the uncomfortable being comfortable with not knowing what will happen because that demonstrates a level of confidence in yourself that the universe is then going to correspond with your ultimate desire. I, I mean, I think that's 
what we're all looking for. But desire is tricky, you know, because when we think about what we really want, sometimes that can get in the way too. So, you know, in that statement, and folks, go back and listen to that. Hit the rewind button. <laughs> in that statement, you know, you did kind of state, this is what I'm working on, you know, so it's it's realistic, you know, that it's a lot more than I could have said for myself with that same attitude a couple of years ago because I was like, yeah, I'm comfortable with not knowing, you know, what's going to happen, but I didn't have any direction. So that can be risky mm-hmm. and actually like probably added to why my family thinks I'm crazy because of that attitude. But, you know, there is something powerful with that energy when it's applied with, I don't want to say realism because that almost takes it out of the spiritual realm as if spirituality isn't real, which I don't think either of us subscribe to that. It's almost like a, you know, confidence, but it's also sort of it's direction, right? So, you know, any thoughts for folks who might feel like, you know, I don't know what direction to go in. Obviously the last few years are pretty, you know, upside mm-hmm. turned upside down and, and pretty mind bending, especially for folks in other countries where things are a little harsher than possibly where I'm at. I know your your country's <laughs> pretty locked down, but any thoughts yeah. for folks who, you know, maybe they lost the job that they had, you know, because of everything and are feeling like they don't have a purpose right now? Like any thoughts on folk? Because I feel, you know, not quite that way, but but from time to time, you know. Yeah. It's, it's not easy. And the... The best thing that you can do for yourself is to really recognize where you're at and why you're there is because of all the choices that you've made, right? And that's really we're not victims to the results and the consequences of the possible dire situation that we're in. And so the strength that's needed to really overcome the obstacle is really in two parts from how you can apply yourself as best you can in the moment and how you can surrender to possibly something greater than yourself that can guide you when you don't have the foresight in that moment. Right. So we can only expand our awareness to a limited thing at any given point. And so the elements of the situations that we're in, we're going to be blind to forces that are acting upon us. And we have to trust that those forces are in alignment with our own greater good. And that's really, to me, what what spirituality is and what it comes down to is that you don't feel like you're at a burden in having to figure everything out by yourself, right? Cause we just don't have the capacity to do that. And so say if it, say if the situation is that you lost your job or you quit or you lost a loved one or, you know, a relationship ended whatever it is that is seemingly difficult and is a hardship that 
the greatest thing that you can do right in the moment is simply count your blessings and what it is that you're grateful for. Because right now there's a tendency to hyperinflate negativity. Right. There's this tendency to overshadow any positivity with all of this negativity. And if you were to actually dissect your day and you were to look at an entire month of all your experiences, chances are there have been more positive experiences than there were negative experiences. And what's, what we have a natural tendency to do is to hyper-focus into the negativity and basically blow it up, right? And so then that becomes our central focus and it overwhelms everything else in our perception. And so when we can take a moment to stop doing that and to examine all the positivity that has happened in our day and to be grateful for the little things that happened, it could be something that your niece or your nephew said to you. It can be something that your parents did for you or a friend. It could be something that a coworker or just someone random on the street. It can be anything where that is a more pertinent spiritual practice really than anything else. And I think that's the starting point for a more in-depth spiritual practice because when you start getting good at just fine combing through your day of, okay, where are the positivities? Where are the negativities? Okay. Here's what I think is a big negativity, but I can balance that out with all the little positivities that happened. How you start becoming more an adept of a spiritual practitioner is you start accumulating the energies of all the positivities and you start to cultivate that within yourself. And it's like you're a magnet. And to the point where you can actually cultivate the positivities from your entire year that you just experienced. And you can hold that within yourself as like a beacon. And so that when your mind goes to shine onto the negativity, it actually no longer functions that way. And all that you can actually surmise is to radiate this positivity and that doesn't necessarily mean that suddenly you win the lottery, suddenly like all this fucking crazy shit happens. It's just that now you're starting at a new point that you actually have had an awakening and you've awakened to the possibility and the potential that you are the decision maker. Every day, you're the decision maker. When you wake up, you decide to get out of bed. That's your first decision. You decide whether or not you brush your teeth. You decide whether or not you eat. You decide whether or not you go to work or you go to see your friends. Everything is about decisions. And so once you find it within yourself that you are the core decision maker, that then you decide how you navigate whether or not you want to give more energy into all the negativity or positivity. And so I would say the next step from there is that there's always going to be a balance that it's inevitable that you're going to run into negativity. And so knowing that you then move into contentment, 
that you can look at all the positive and negative and you are completely content with all of it. No matter the, no matter what the ratio is, you have a day where you have the shittiest day. It's like pure negativity and it doesn't matter because you're completely content and you realize that your Dharma and your karma as a human being is to experience all of that. And so then the key is then how you can just laugh at it and you just go, Oh, a fucking course, you know? And that's not easy because I'm sure there are some listeners that are like, what the fuck this like crazy shit or this stupid shit happened to me. How am I supposed to just laugh at that? How am I supposed to just be content? And the answer is I can't do that for you. Right. I can only do it for myself. And so because, because I do it for myself, I know that the people listening can do it for themselves. And the best thing that you can do for yourself is really be fucking brutally honest. Be really honest. Why did you put yourself in that situation? It wasn't anyone else's fault, right? I was in a five-year relationship. I thought this, the person I was with, I was going to have kids with. I was going to live for the rest of my life, right? But then she wanted nothing. Uh, she didn't want anything to do with me. She suddenly was like, no, I don't want to have kids. I don't want to be in the relationship. Like, I'm not in love with you. It's over. And I could have easily went down the route of, well, that fucking bitch, like, she doesn't know what she's missing. Like, oh, fuck her. But no, I was brutally honest with myself. And I said, no. I did something and I looked back at those five years and I saw the choices that I was making and I saw how it was impacting our relationship and I took ownership of that. And from that moment on of taking ownership of that completely changed my life. All of a sudden, all this abundance came because I made that switch of just being the owner of the decisions that I make. And that's the most important thing. So if you got fired or you quit your job, but you're saying to yourself like, oh, it wasn't my fault. It was fucking this person, this person, fuck them, fuck this. You have to take a step back and you have to say, no, it's not actually any of their fault. It's choices that I've made and I have to own up to that and I have to move forward. Wow. And yes, yes. So, I'm sorry to cut you off because yeah. I know you're on a roll, but I just need to point that out because... I think you're speaking my language and I know this is going to resonate with the audience. So I don't know. This is recalibrating my circuits, Yogi. So keep going. <laughs> well, the biggest thing is the difference between true adulthood, like really being a man or a woman to being an adolescent adult. Okay. Most people don't even know that they're still an adolescent even though they're in an adult body because they're still operating on the mind of a teenager. Right. And they can't cope with letting it go because it's a part of their personality and their behavior of being young and they don't want to grow old and they don't want the responsibility of being an elder because that's what we're all growing into. And so you have to let go of your adolescence. And you have to make way for the elder that you're going to become. 
And what that takes is an initiation. It's a literal burning. You have to sacrifice your adolescence. And so that you come into an adulthood that is responsible, that is serene, that is loving and compassionate, and yet is grounded and serious and doesn't put up shit, right? You don't, you don't put up with all that shit anymore. You're going to meet new people. I guarantee there's a bunch of people listening. In the next six months, this is my prediction, you're going to start meeting new people. And in those new people, if you decide to let go of your adolescent adult and you start moving into your more responsible, refined adult, these new people you're going to meet are going to be in two branches. Either they're going to still represent the adolescence or they're going to represent the adult. And you have to then make the choice on which direction you're going to go. And you're going to see it clearly that you have no, you don't want anything to do with those adolescents anymore. You're just going to say, fuck off. You're going to meet them. You're going to see them immediately. And you're going to be like, no, I don't want anything a part of that. And then that's where you have to choose that the more you refine yourself and the more you dig deep into this like true adult, this refined, awakened adult, you're going to start meeting all these new people who want to uplift you and all these new people that like, want to support you and that's just what i'm finding in my life that's i mean yogi that's exactly that's exactly what happened to me brother and you were part of that i mean quite honestly you know and i don't know if you were you you participated in an episode with my former co-hosts because i think it was you myself and the person i was seeing at the time not tara but uh, someone i was seeing and and yeah it's just so strange because what you're saying is like exactly and this isn't a slight to them you know my co-hosts my old co-hosts i love them they're all great people but in a way that describes them to a T because when I was trying to hustle and work on this podcast, which given they don't listen to podcasts. So again, no slight against them. They were trying to play video games and get me into video games. And I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of adults who are very responsible, got their life together and they relax by playing video games, whatever. But me at my age, at my state where I'm at, you know, like with what I got in front of me, I can't waste any time playing video games, you know? I don't have a job like that. So it just, yeah, it had to, it had to stop. So yeah, that's what I did. And ever since I've, I've continued to grow and, and meet new interesting people, albeit through the podcasting space. But interestingly enough, a couple really great people that I've become friends with just, you know, who are pretty close, you know, they're not quite in my state, but like Michael Wan, who was on the show episode 25. And now I do a, a podcast with him called your handbook for the apocalypse. You know, I can say he's a in-person friend that I met on a podcast. And I hope to say the same thing for you, Yogi, one day. I've obviously you're a little further out. Can't quite drive into Canada with the borders, but either yeah. way, one thing I want to go back to that you touched on that I thought was really important was when people overshadow the positive with negative. And I feel like this is the message we need to hear when we come to a podcast like mine. Unfortunately, we do touch on this stuff. I try to keep it as open-minded and as heart-centered as possible so that when people hear all these conspiracy theories, they're not black-pilled into you know, a doom scroll or however, I forget which get a chance from the universe always has the cool slang. So it's probably him, but, but yeah, either way, you know, 
there's just this black pilled, you know, and I'm not trying to, you know, black pill, whatever. That's a funny term, but it really is like conspiracy theory draws a certain mindset in. And I think one of the reasons why I love having you here and I love doing the show that I do is because we try to approach it from the heart centered place, you know, not, mm. you know, white pill, red pill, all these different pills. I don't need any pills. But again, you know, that's unfortunately something that happens in the conspiracy community. You, you take all these negatives and you let them overshadow the positive stuff that lies within. And I think there's equally uh, as many positive subjects as negative subjects that we've talked about on this show. And, and the same is said for other great podcasts. But, you know, people need to have a sort of let it roll off their shoulders approach to this stuff. Like, you, yeah, you need to be aware that these things are going on, but don't become like the Pizzagate shooter guy and, and go and shoot shoot everybody up because, you know, there's a conspiracy theory about them. Saying that, I don't really believe that. I think that guy was controlled op for my real people who are in the know. But either way, you know, that's that's like unfortunately what the mainstream people, you know, audience might think of a conspiracy theorist because of stories like that. And, you know, I have a bad temper, too. So, you know, I, I can definitely like I, I can use the chill pill. If I any pill, I'm going to take a chill pill. So. I don't need to listen to something that's going to rile me up, rile me up, you know, because it's just not good for my health. So, yeah, maybe I'm rambling a bit, but you get what I'm trying to say here. Like, we don't need to overshadow the positives with uh, the negatives because, as you put it, very well said, you got to find balance between the two because you can't avoid the negatives. They're going to be out there. And if you're going to, you know, become aware of the world at this, you know, higher frequency that we're at where we understand the real depths of it. You got to balance yeah. it out with the real heights as well, because if you're only in the depths, that's where you're going to gravitate to, right? I mean, lowering your frequency. Yeah. The, the amount of information that there is just generally is overwhelming. And especially navigating through the world of conspiracy theories is daunting in that there are so many different subjects and there are so many different avenues to go down that the amount of time that it actually will take to actually to find a truth that is a no is like a no shadow of a doubt that the kind of corruption that's taking place within the government, within all the organizations is true. It seems futile. And I think the way that our government systems are set up and the way that are all the like, you know, like Homeland security and CIA and FBI, all these organizations are set up that it's purposely driven that way. I think so that people maintain this paranoia and fear that there's almost nothing you can do about it. Right. So as soon as you learn that, you know, like, you know, operation, what paperclip and you name it has happened that you, you sit back for a moment and you say, well, what the fuck am I going to do about it? Right. Like if these like multi-billion dollar industries are fucking doing this i'm just a guy in a house like what am i supposed to do 
And what I realized over the last like 12 years of, of going through all of that and, and come kind of coming out of it out of the other end is that the spiritual war is very real. Right. And the way that the, the way that we can navigate around the spiritual war is to understand who the players are and how we ourselves are players in it, right? And so that's not to say we need to know any specific names in it because I, you know, of course, there's going to be people all over that know the families and the bloodlines like Santos Bonocci, right? Like just amazing historian. But what I started to navigate in understanding the spiritual war is that once you become aware of the entities involved and once you start to gain a power over them, that the first stage that happens is that you're kind of left alone, right? Like it's recognized that you're almost on equal footing and the, and the, person that I want to relate this to is like my yoga teacher, Yogarishi Vishaketu, where he's got a world-renowned yoga school. I was going to say Sadhguru, but I think Sadhguru is like sneakily kind of a part of it, you know, and why he's so big and why he has such a presence and why he's a part of like the World Economic Forum, right? And these like weird things and the death of his wife and how strange like the death of his wife was and how... Apparently she went into Maha Samadhi, but he fled India to America like a week after. And there was all this controversy that like he killed his wife. And so there's weird shit, right? So who, who is my, this? Sadhguru? Sadhguru. Yeah. Like, have you ever heard of Sadhguru? No, you mentioned him in conjunction with your teacher. So I, I just don't want anyone to be confused, including myself. Yeah. So yeah. this isn't the same person as the guy who taught you. <laughs> no, no, okay. no, no. So the guy who taught me is like legit Himalayan yoga master. And so where I'm trying to get at this is the, what it seems like is everyone who has an awareness of the conspiracy theories. If you want to go on like the left and the right politically, it seems like everyone just wants the truth to come out, right? Either one side of it wants the mainstream to just kind of go, you guys were right. We're all corrupt. You know, we're all paid off. You know, all of this is fake. We stage everything, you know, like there's something inside everyone that just wants that to happen. Right. Um, or some profound event happens where like, aliens come and they're like you know what you know here's the truth we can project it to you holographically we can actually project it inside your minds because we're all telepathic you know but the truth is that's never going to happen and so how we actually win the spiritual war is by finding inside of us that the truth is our own divinity and that the way that we interact with the earth is how we actually amplify the divinity within us. And this is why most monks and most sadhus and most yogis 
they go off into the wilderness and they go off into the jungles and they go to caves and they go to the Himalayas because they're going to a place in the earth and with the earth where that transmittance of energy from divinity into them is going to be the easiest. And so I think the real like kind of like secret of why we're all piled into cities is because cities are not conducive to that, right? Everything is concrete and steel, right? This is like one of the craziest epiphanies that I had coming back from Copenhagen, Thailand in 2016. I was surrounded by jungle. Like there's, it's just jungle, jungle, jungle. And I come back to a full concrete city, right? And I'm like, holy shit, something's fucked up here, right? So the more time we can actually spend in nature and the more that we can actually gear ourselves to like living on land more and more. And I know that's so hard, right? Because it means either trying to buy land and that's a whole ordeal itself. The best option is look for communities and look for groups that do like out of town outings, right? Where you can go and stay in a yurt, you can go and stay with the community because what this earth needs the most, the way that it'll actually heal is if more people actually are on it, right? Because if you think about it, we're all walking around on concrete. We're all walking around with shoes. We're all driving vehicles, Right. I feel like I know where you're going with this and it fits into what we were talking about with several different guests recently. This idea that human beings are sort of like in this circuit and we are like the solenoid or something. I don't know the proper electrical technical terms, but, you know, when we come in, it completes the circuit and causes this energy flow. And as you're putting it, things like rubber, things like cement, they don't carry this natural charge between us and the earth. So the more people go to cities, the less of that biofeedback loop, the less energy is going back to the earth in that sort of way. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, people often say when you fly, I haven't flown since I was a child, but people say when you fly, you know, the cities look like microchips, you know, or they like do. parasites, you know, especially when they're like polluting the atmosphere and there's big trails of smoke coming out of them. They just look really obtuse, not natural compared to, you know, these very resonant, beautiful megalithic structures, and then even some like classical structures and, and obviously temples and cathedrals and things that are designed to resonate energy. It's clear that they've kind of moved away from that type of building into this like nullifying type of building, like square block buildings that, you know, are so obtuse. Again, obtuse, I keep using that word, that they just like, you know, they're not, you've seen like, a beautiful like chapel the way it's designed it's it's meant mm-hmm. to harmonize that sound the buildings in a city they're just it's like a grid you know i don't know and that's the interesting when you look at like the rothschilds and these elites when you actually look at their mansions and the buildings that they create right all sacred geometry right right you know they're all stars they're all pyramids and And so there's something that's been robbed from us that is a part of our 
ancient heritage of just humanity. And even this whole idea of like Darwinian evolution of just like humans going over millions of years of evolving from this little tiny cell to what we have now. Um, and I just stopped believing that when I got into yoga and I got into this new information that the life of humanity is cyclical and that humanity is a blueprint on the earth. And it's always been there for millions of years and it cycles through advancement to de-evolution and it goes through that. And so I think in this era of our humanity, what's been taken and which is a part of the karma of our consciousness is hiding away these technologies of us, right? Like we are the advanced technology. Like that's what just baffles my mind and all the things that are happening of just like, oh my God, robots and AI, that's so amazing. I'm like, holy shit, we are like the craziest technology on this planet and no one wants to fucking see it. Like just anyone listening okay when you're done this go look at yourself in the mirror and just stare at yourself in the mirror for 20 minutes and you will get tripped the fuck out when you realize that you are a walking biomechanical fucking human consciousness if you're driving stop looking in your rear view mirror (laughs) right now and focus on the road (laughs) yeah i gotta remember there's all sorts of people so i i think my point here is that this push into the digital age is to really prevent us from exerting our power as human beings. Right. And, and it's like the irony of the idea of like this whole metaverse and it's like, Oh, you can buy property on the metaverse. And it's like, Okay, but then you have billionaires just like scooping up land by like hundreds of thousands of acres every fucking year, right? Because no one's no one's doing it, right? Like, well, who can? I mean, other than them, right? So yeah, yeah, and especially when they put these tokenized versions of buying property, as you put buying metaverse property, as if that'll ever amount to anything tangible in the real world. Yeah. I see yeah. where you're going with it, and I'm with you, Yogi. I think it's it's definitely, you know, it's it's something that people in this community, I'm sure, are getting wise to with the help of folks like yourself. But, you know, what can we do for the folks who, who aren't going to wake up? Because I feel like just leading by example is, is really the best thing to do, you know, and, and people, yeah. you know, they – Whatever it is, and we try to ask every guest, I'm sure I asked you this when you were first on, you know, what what brought you into this kind of awareness? You know, I always phrase it differently, but that's that's a really, you know, a, a big focus for me because I think that's happening more and more and more. And I like when people say, oh, yeah, 90s or whatever, you know, but when I hear someone say, like, oh, I woke up a year ago, I'm like, that's equally as cool. Like there's no reason yeah. to, to be like, Oh dude, he's been awake for 15 years, man. Like, no, no, no. The point is we're all here. And as you put, you know, we need more people participating in this wavelength of truth, harmony and love and connection with the earth and with each other. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful, man. Um, you know, and like, 
obviously the irony, you know, I live in a city, <laughs> but like my goal right now. So like I, what we were talking about at the beginning, you know, like what I foresee for myself or, you know, my revolution, my resolution for this year is to actually buy land. And I'm fortunate enough to be in a position where um, in like two to three years from now, I can actually buy land. And, you know, I'm working really diligently to get to that point. And once I get to that point, is where then I know my work will begin again, you know, like my new stage of, okay, now how do I inspire people to get to this point? You know, what am I going to do to help friends out who can live on the land with me? So it's not just like, oh, I have this land and, you know, it's mine and I have a shitload of guns, you know? <laughs> you That's know, one so. route that people go, especially <laughs> in this community. No, nothing against you guys, but you're a little afraid, a little paranoid. Yeah. With good reason sometimes. Um, <laughs> and like as weird or, you know, dreadful as the sound, what I come back to almost daily is I tell myself, I'm going to die. One day I'm going to die. And that day I'm either going to forget about this entire life or I'm going to have the wherewithal just because of my, you know, my spiritual practice that I'm going to wake up to who I really am upon death. And I'm going to realize it was all a dream and that really it doesn't matter. And that this realm that we're in is just a snippet of what the totality of what existence really is. And that all of our obsessions, everything that we're super hyper-focused on of wanting to save the earth, wanting to, you know, prevent climate change and you name it, right? All the government corruption, all this blah, 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 blah. We're all going to die one day. And on that day, when it leads up to that, it's up to you to come to a point within yourself that either you will have full awareness that you've died and you're going to be able to transition to a new level that is no longer attached to the earth, right? So it's no longer this cyclic rebirth into the earth. And this goes into this kind of like new thought that I had about why the elite control the way that they do is that they are purposely rebirthing themselves into the earth, they're purposely tying themselves to control the earth. And so for people like us who aren't a part of that, we're actually free because they are in bondage. You know, they are the slaves because they are the ones that have to keep coming back and having to keep doing the same things and having to try to control the way that the earth goes. And so for us, we can actually live a more harmonious life. We don't have to be a part of that. We don't have to see the earth as this wretched thing that's going into dismal disarray, right? That we can go out in nature and be like, none of that is happening. I can literally drive an hour from here and go into a fucking lake and watch and be like, there's none of that. There's none of that. It's just birds and animals and water and trees and breeze and blue sky. And your car and in it, a lake. <laughs> <laughs> and so you can just continuously live your entire life with that beauty and decide to then transition into a new earth where you go, I don't want to be a part of this earth that has these slaves 
right? That has these masters that has, I don't want to be a part of that. I'm awakened. I'm out. I'm transitioning into a better place. And I have my guides and my masters to be there. Cause the thing is, I believe that I don't care what the fuck anyone says. It doesn't matter. That's my belief. And that's my trajectory. And that's the way that I'm going to go. And so when I die, that's what I'm going to do. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. You can listen to this and be like, ah, bullshit. It doesn't work that way. Okay. It's not going to work that way for you. That's okay. It's going to work that way for me because I know the phenomenal experience that I've had. I've traveled into the future. I've gone through portals. I've gone into other dimensions. Okay. And I don't need to prove that. I know what my capability is as a human and someone who wants to be awakened in advance. I know where I'm going to go when I die. And so when you have that kind of confidence, you then bring that presence into the earth. And this is really the essence of like Buddhist teaching and, and Jesus and, you know, whatever masters, right? Is that when you start to no longer care at all what anyone thinks about what is happening within yourself, you draw upon a presence that is so powerful that whether or not anyone even wants to recognize it, you can walk by people and they don't even know. Right. But then there's going to be someone that goes, Holy shit. What was that? Right. And so I think what I, what I want to kind of like really hone in and, and get people to really, really grasp is that that's been a part of you all of your life. And once, once you want it, then the path is shown to you. And that want and desire supersedes everything else in this world. And I'm just really happy that I can be the person to really share that right now and that I have this opportunity to tap into my presence and tap into my guides and tap into what is really special to me and to be able to be a guiding light to wanting to experience beauty where we are right now and that we just don't have to worry. We don't have to worry. The earth is very well taken care of right? This earth is massive and it's been around for billions of years, you know, if you want to think of it that way. And so what we do as little ants on top of it is nothing, right? If you were to zoom out, so think of it like we're digging into the earth to extract oil and lithium, right? And when you see it from our perspective, the holes in the ground seem huge, but when you go out into space, they're nothing. It's like a pimple we pop on our cheek, right? Like we really have to let go of this idea that we're damaging the earth. The earth wants all this. Otherwise, it wouldn't be happening. Everything that's happening on the earth, the earth is like, yep, everything. And as soon as we just surrender, trying to control that, and we go, earth, I'm at your whim because this body is earth. I am the earth. Like all of my movements, I think I'm controlling. It's the earth controlling it because it's the earth's physics. It's the earth's dynamics. 
And so we just have to then surrender into that. And then we'll really truly be at our core nature and be harmonious with her. And she'll unveil everything for us and be like, look, everything's taken care of. It's okay. And trust. And you will see the beauty that I have to bestow. And step one, just get out of the city for a little bit. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Wow. Yogi, you can be on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy soapbox anytime. I love it. (laughs) That is exactly the medicine we need over here. We don't need medication. We need meditation with Yogi Zorananda Glamochila. And you know what, dude? I'm so happy that that I can help you do this. And, you know, anytime you want to come on the show for these extended outros, you have an open invitation. I think we should have you on more regularly for this just to, for my own health, to de, you know, frack all of the sort of stuff we talk about on the show. I've done, I think, like more interviews in this month than I've done in any other month since I've started. And it's only, we're only halfway through, you know, you're on a roll man. (laughs) I see it like fucking every day. I'm just like, God, man, this is so great. Thank you, brother. And I'm so happy to have you a part of it. And one last time, tell the listeners where they can find you, where to follow up with you and what you have coming out soon. If there's anything they can look forward to. Yeah, so mainly you can find me on Instagram, yogi.zorananda. Then all my offerings are on my website. The best way that you can support me is by purchasing a book, meditation, or music. I'm also a musician, so I have three albums out. You can find that on Spotify as well. Just look up Zorananda. And I do have a podcast called the Renegade Yogi Podcast Experience. And I just came out with a new episode yesterday where now going into the koshas. So it's these like energetic layers of our being. So I like doing interviews and solo episodes. So the solo episodes allow me to go into yogic material. I did a whole series on the chakras and now I'm doing the koshas. So yesterday was the intro to the koshas and yeah, so this whole next week I'm going to be, I'm going to be recording all the episodes for the koshas and yeah, I think that's it. Um, For now, I just have a lot of work to do on my end to get more people booked and to get first to get my book out because that's uh, really what I want to focus on now is get people to, um, read about my story, get in touch with their hearts, learn some new meditations, get in touch with their future self and live a harmonious and loving, compassionate life. Cause it's really what, what we need and what the earth needs for sure. I love it. Well, thank you, Yogi, for joining me one more time. I think this is the third time you've been on the show and uh, yeah, brother, like I said, open invitation to come back anytime and thank you so much folks for sticking with us in the extended outro here on the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast have a great moment wherever you are in the now all right ladies and gentlemen what a conversation with darren from the Grand america show obviously follow up with him 
Yeah, get that book. Check it out. There is a digital version, I'm sure, and obviously a physical copy. I definitely am planning on ordering one of those real soon. I got a lot of books that have come in recently. Talked a lot about The Empire of the Wheel. Almost finished getting on to the second book in the series. Another really cool book that came in was The 50 Greatest Conspiracies of All Time by Jonathan Vankin and John Whalen. It is as the title suggests, 50 separate conspiracies. Uh, some of them are very interesting. You know, obviously written in the 90s, it's a lot about JFK, CIA, uh, the Pope, CBS, uh, MK Ultra, George Bush, and John Hinckley, uh, FEMA, and then biological warfare. So I'm definitely excited to dig into that. We got a lot going on here on the show, a lot going on. Right now, I'm getting a lot of YouTube comments, and I don't know what happens, but I'll get a notification. The next thing you know, it's gone. So if you're trying to reach out on YouTube, that's fine. I appreciate you listening to the show wherever you listen to the show, although I do suggest that you listen to us on a podcast app. If you're on YouTube and you're trying to get in touch and leave comments, I can't guarantee that it's going to be there. It seems like YouTube is doing something, shadow deleting our comments. I don't know what it is, but I have heard other channels talk about the same thing. So if you're on YouTube and you want to get in touch, go over to the Telegram and if you're on the Telegram, you can find the Telegram link in the description. Uh, but if you're on the Telegram, go ahead and leave us a voice message and tell us why your family thinks you're crazy. Be sure to tell us where you're from, what your name is, uh, maybe you know, keep your identity, uh, disclose it at your own will. I'll say that. Uh, if you don't want to share your whole name, that's fine. I don't need your whole name. First name works. But tell us where you're from. Tell us why your family thinks you're crazy. Maybe we'll play it on the show. Uh, we definitely had a bunch of uh, familiar friends from the Telegram leave us a message before. Go ahead and uh, send us another message if you want. But please, we definitely want to see more of those. I've been talking a little bit about this. We got a raffle going on. If you sign up for the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast Patreon, past the $5 tier in the month of January, by January, we're going to push it back to January 17th because that's when we're doing our first Patreon Zoom meeting meetup. Um, if you sign up for the $5 tier by then, you get put into a raffle to win one of three handmade shirts. The My Family Thinks I'm Crazy classic logo with funky colors, hand designed by myself and Tara, sent to you for free. All you got to do is sign up on the Patreon $5 tier. And uh, we'll ship it out to you. So definitely sign up before then. If you're listening to this podcast episode after that date, no big deal. You can still sign up for the Patreon. You get a spirit animal name. You'll be able to join in our patrons only Telegram chat where we do have a lot going on. And we plan on having maybe even the meeting there because I know Telegram does kind of like a group video thing so i don't know it might happen there but if you're a patron already and you're listening be sure to sign up into the telegram the link should be on the patreon somewhere but anyways there isn't a pod inbox anymore so don't use that link it's in some of the older episode descriptions pod inbox was charging me nine dollars a month to do something that Telegram does, albeit they did it much nicer, but Telegram's already there, people already use it, so why would I 
pay for something where, you know, same thing can happen for free. So leave us a voice message on Telegram. It's essentially the same thing as the pod inbox, but free for me. That's great because I do this podcast all by myself. It's a one man show as far as production, planning, uh, paying for the hosting and all the other services that I use to produce this podcast. So can't do it without my awesome supporters. I appreciate all of you in the Patreon and everyone listening. I appreciate you too. Give us a rating We got some really awesome ratings recently that I want to read real quick if I can find them. But if you're listening on iTunes, go ahead and give us a five-star rating. We're at 29 in the philosophy category. That's huge, folks. 29. I mean, give us a round of applause. 29. Wow. I mean, I never thought that I would be that high-ranked in any category this quick into it, but I don't blame any of you how could you not the show's awesome we're rocking yep that's right 29 in the united states in the category of philosophy and we had two really awesome five-star reviews recently first one says better than rogan five stars thought-provoking intelligent discussions about interesting topics with smart guests this podcast also has a great vibe to it such a great find thank you bootstrapper appreciate you Next up, Jared Digital says, Synchronistic Sauce, five stars. Discovered Mark through the Tinfall Hat podcast and decided to listen to an MFTIC episode one day. Been listening steady for over the past year now and continue to look forward to new episodes each week. What I like most about this show is the focus on the beautiful, magical world we live in, in the ever expanding now he put dot 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 but i knew where he was going with that and thank you so much i read that a couple days ago and i have thought of it while doing some episodes doing some interviews and thinking about you know what yeah we are focusing on the beautiful magical world that we live in and how can i make this conversation even more magical so thank you jared for the inspiration i really appreciate you and everybody listening like i said leave us a five star rating and uh, we'll read it on the show let's see there might be more if we go back into the archives here wow yeah we were we were only 43 only a couple weeks ago and now we're all the way up to 29 so the show is growing i appreciate everyone listening i can't say that enough doesn't look like there's that many more new ratings all the more reason for you to go on itunes and you know what there's another app where people can leave ratings and there's a lot of cool stuff you could do on this app if you haven't heard of it before maybe it's because you don't have an android phone but Castbox is an app that i use and you can leave comments in the Castbox app so let's go over and see what people have been commenting in the Castbox app for the show if there's any More recently? No, not a lot recently. All these are pretty old. I might have addressed these already. Shout out to Joshua Ostergaard. Appreciate you, brother. Get in touch. MFTIC podcast at gmail.com. I would definitely like to hear more. Your comments are interesting. Um, And then, oh, Andrew Rouse. Shout out to you, brother. I know that guy. Deep Share podcast. We've done a swap cast. He's had me on his psychedelic roundtable show called The Witness. 
And uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, there's nothing else in the cast box. But yeah, the the thing that's cool about cast box is you can do video podcasts there as well. So we've got some really cool shout outs from people. Shout out to Luke Mitchell, who's going to be on the show. He might have already been on the show. I don't know if this episode's going to come out before or after, but Boy, was that a great conversation with Darren from Grammerica. Let's see. We got some cool messages from people lately. Maybe we can read one. Shout out to Devendra K. He also might be on the show soon. Shout out to you, brother. Shout out to Josh Bellamy. I just did a great podcast with him. The Illusionary Tales of Reality is the name of his podcast. He joined me on this show. Great conversation. Shout out to Loomis. I know that episode came out already. All right. Richard Easby. Shout out to you, Richard E. Hey, Mark. Walter Bosley was interviewed recently on the Where Did the Road Go podcast. I think you would enjoy it. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate that. Shout out to Kent Woods. He was recently on the show. All right. Here's a real good message. So this one comes from Zane. Hello. Thank you for the information you provided me on Twitter. I listened to episode 108 with Peter Shampoo and a couple of the Your Handbook for the Apocalypse episodes and found the information very enlightening. I wanted to strange... (laughs) I wanted to share a strange synchronicity, perhaps borderline mystical experience that I thought you might appreciate considering your interest in these structures. Last week, I was in the woods out near where I live in the metro Boston area, having my first experience with magic mushrooms. It didn't take long, or I'm sorry, I didn't take enough to trip, but enough to feel very in tune with nature and lost time and space, at least to a moderate degree. Soon after the psilocybin kicked in and I started to feel like I was a part of nature, that nature was alive and that I was alive in it, something in the back of my head started calling to me. And though I had been walking, I stopped in my tracks to try and understand what was being said. At this point, I became transfixed on one of these stone structures that was maybe 40 or 50 feet off the path. Then the voice in my head, not an auditory auditory hallucination, but rather just my own subconscious, started saying, come to us, come to us. I took a few cautious steps off the path toward the stone structure. I stopped halfway between the path and the stones and stood there fixated on the gap between the stone rows, perhaps a five-foot gap, between where one row ended and the other began. I stood there halfway between the path and stone row with come to us stuck in my head, and I consciously had to pull myself out of the trance. Being more than a little spooked, I forced myself to walk back to the path. Anyways, the following day I decided to listen to conspiracy podcasts, even though I had, it had been several months since I had done so. Mostly, I had only ever listened to the Higher Side Chats. However, I decided to search for podcasts with Nick Hinton as I remembered, particularly liking that episode on the Higher Side Chats. 
This is how I found your podcast. And needless to say, I was a little shook that the first podcast I chose to listen to the day after this experience was one where you mentioned these stone structures. After listening to Peter Shampoo and yourself describe these as potential spirit portals and potential energy fields for geomancy, I am convinced that some kind of spirit world can be accessed at these sites. Just wanted to share with you this story. Best, Zane. Wow, Zane, that is awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that message. Wow. And that's what we're talking about here, folks. Synchronicity. He had only had that experience days before even finding out about this podcast. So he didn't really even, none of that was in his mind when he had that experience. That's incredible. Wow. Zane, thank you so much. So next thing, we have a message from someone who I guess speaks Italian. Um. So, but they have a translation. This came in the day before that one did. Very interesting. So, here's the message from, shout out to Stefano. Hello, brother. Have you wild spirits of creations, of nature free to exist in everywhere and when of life, Chemistry of our body, soul, and everything. Alchemy of the history of souls. Alchemy that never stops fighting for its existence. Our freedom of thought. Continuous evolution of our being. Matter, as you well know. Imagine my mind. There are forces above all nature that regulate the instincts of our nature being. Cosmic laws. Vibrational laws. Laws of thought. Laws of divine will. Brother, I want to tell you about your evolution and understanding of our body soul which exists everywhere and when part of what i have lived and, and am experiencing the perception of the reality of multi-dimensions is out of every reach of imagination in the present i perceive transmutations of reality transmigrations determined only by souls and by god continuous astral and soul interconnections by our spirits transpositions of mental waves, continuous interconnections with the voice of the multiverse, intergalactic brotherhood, spirits guide us towards the light. Every soul is guided by its ancestors and by the brotherhood towards the substantial evolution of the idea of will, of the will of love, of existence, of creation, a human revolution on the part of our spirits which will regulate the survival of every soul of life. I guess you are knowledgeable about most, if not all theories of life. Your awareness is great. You have a lot of information. Put it to use. The word is a weapon of destruction and speaks to the spirits of your parents, ancestors, brother. They will listen to you. They will never stop guiding you. In the past, I have seen the Madonna in LDS. I'm not sure if that stands for Latter-day Saints or LSD. Uh, I don't I don't know. Two years after an out-of-body experience, only detachment of the soul, subsequently living, interpreted by me as possession by the spirits, experiences of psychosis, depersonalization, five admissions to psychiatry. Hard and intense, 17 days of restraint, total almost devoid of conscience and soul. 
I thank our spirits for not leaving me and myself. I thank the will of God for making me what I am and what I choose to be. What I choose to be commander of the intergalactic armies of the white brotherhood. Madame Blavatsky lives in every soul after definite transcendental and paranormal experiences with my psyche and my soul. I have developed ESP powers out of my control. Real inner awareness about the functioning of certain realities invisible to your senses, but perceptible to my senses, by my cognitive functions, by the elaboration of my conscious. What do you think about simulation theory? To date, every word which I express seems to be programmed. Leaving aside the emotions, the visualizations of the memories, I thank the voice of the spirits that keep me in emotional balance, that guides my emotional states. I thank the thought and the will of souls like you. I thank the voices of the souls of the past and the future that flow into reality. Would you tell me something about yourself? Would you like it? I said, wow. <laughs> and the pictures that he, he, he shared, Stefano, are very interesting. But wow, let's just take a moment. <laughs> Who is this gentleman? Why is he reaching out to me? Why is he complimenting me? Why is his ESP powers out of his control? So many mysteries. So I said, I would love to talk to you. Now, he responded shortly after the next day. My soul, too, would very much like to know you and establish a friendship. I feel that we are attracted by the will of creations. I feel that after a series of exchange of ideas and reflections on the mechanisms of reality, and of the thought of the cosmic universal consciousness, we will emerge men risen from the abyss of hell of the present reality, despite the effort and undeterred energies on the part of the spirits of our being nature. Why are you attracted to all this information, and what is your motivation that pushes you to spread your ideas? Now, regretfully, uh, Life happens, and I did not respond yet, but I guess my intention was to have a conversation in person, um, but maybe we'll respond right here in the now. Let's see. Off the top of my head, why am I attracted to all this information, and what are my motivations that pushes me to spread my ideas? I don't think I'm spreading any of my ideas as much as uh, I'm sharing this sort of thought in an open way so that you, the listeners, can hear and make your own decisions as to what you think and draw your own conclusions. And since I don't know everything and since I don't have all the answers, I think what could be constructive is having other people on the show who are figuring out certain realms or pieces of the puzzle. And through a show like this and many other podcasts, which I'm sure you're listening to if you found this podcast, we can put all those pieces of the puzzle together. You know, each guest like Peter Shampoo, the guest mentioned in the past message, or even Chaz of the Dead actually <laughs> recommended both of those guests to the Higher Side Chats uh, through their joint sessions for the Plus members. So fingers crossed, maybe we'll see Peter and or Chaz on uh, the Higher Side Chats. Now back to 
Stefano's question. Why am I attracted to all this information? Well, I've talked about that a lot on the show. So, um, Stefano, if you, if you want to listen back to the podcast, it's all there. Um, I shouldn't have to answer that, but for the sake of keeping this segment going in short, um, many different reasons, a lifelong curiosity in nature that led to me to try to understand the world, a series of realizations that I had it all wrong. Uh, one of those started thanks to cannabis and that kind of kicked off a series of very important revelations that led me to find podcasting, which then led me to work for Sam Tripoli and led me to have this podcast. So again, a story I've told many times. And again, what my motivation is, well, being a human being on the planet and caring about the planet, caring about the world I was born into, whether it's a planet or a flat plane or whatever it is, I love nature and I want to take care of it. So there was this sort of environmentalism that got me uh, anxious about the state of the world from a young age. Uh, and now I've started to think maybe that was more conspiracy than fact, but it is obvious that corporations pollute and destroy wildlife and human beings definitely historically have not been very kind to wildlife. I was sort of leaning into that with my question about hunting with Darren and how Native Americans preserve the wildlife instead of just clear-cut destroy it all in the steamroller fashion that the West seems to have really organized around. But back to what my motivation is, is, you know, this world we're living in has a lot of issues that need to be called out. Or as my new friend Loomis says, we need to chant them down. We need to raise the awareness so that we can start to bring humanity back into harmony. That's why the description of the podcast is what it is, because this is much larger than just Mark getting to talk about topics that he's interested in. Yes, we're going to talk about fun stuff. Yes, we're going to talk about things that maybe go off into wild tangents. But at the end of the day, we're poking at this official narrative. We're crumbling the reality that was laid like a layer of cement trapping you in the grave that is society. So wake up. You are not the dead name that you read on your license or on any form of identification. You are a soul incarnate. So yes, Stefano and I have a lot in common. We definitely see the world through a similar lens, I can't say that I have ESP powers, nor have I had out-of-body experiences that were more substantial or, you know, you, we can't really spend more than a minute talking about my out-of-body experiences. But yeah, there is something here that I like. Uh, you know, the white brotherhood thing might sound a little scary, but uh, it definitely isn't racial as far as I've read. It has nothing to do with uh, white as it pertains to the color of someone's skin it's more white being uh, a color that has all colors within it you know uh, the highest vibration of color so and besides white people don't really have pure white skin anyway so here we are <laughs> talking about a lot of stuff today was sort of 
racial conversation in a, in a lot of ways because racism was a big motivation behind the indoctrination of the Indians in Canada, the Native Americans here in the United States, and the First Nations people, really, uh, indigenous people all across the world who have fallen victim to colonization. My heart goes out to them. So that is a big reason why I'm motivated to spread my ideas. Again, I don't think I'm spreading any ideas. I think people can come to their own conclusions, but indigenous cultures and all the wisdom that researchers have garnered from those cultures and put into Brooks books that I've read and enjoyed. That's an immense value that I've gotten just from that alone. And it's not even a real clear, authentic experience. You know, I, I still, my experience with actual native Americans is sort of minimal and I definitely want to, change that so it's cool to have darren on the show it's cool to get to know him uh in the beginning i don't know if this was recorded but we were talking about his contact at the cabin contact at the canyon the Grand america show they do a bunch of really cool meetups that you can take part in buy a ticket awesome folks like past guest david matheson owen hunt and many others that are, are there they they I don't know why I'm babbling. Uh, they are there. They go there and they show you what is up. Specifically, Randall Carlson. I heard they went to the Scablands and uh, he was showing them all the examples of this younger Dryas period and the glaciers like Darren got into today on this show. So a lot of cool stuff can be learned in person if you're adventurous enough to go out there and do it. I definitely plan on making that happen like i said joe Roop is a part of it he's planning on going to the one in february asked me to go uh probably not going to make it it's a little far um, maybe going to go hang out with mike juan in pennsylvania but that's all i can really think of as far as synchromistic trips in the immediate future um tara and i are planning on getting a sort of map going of connecticut synchromystically mapping the river and the state and understanding the history and the energy here as best as we can. And who knows, maybe we'll do something cool a la Corey Daniels in Phoenix for the, uh, for Connecticut or even a la Mike Juan in Susquehanna. Cause you can book Mike Juan to give you a tour of Lancaster, various places in Lancaster. And if you pick up his book, The Rights of the 40th Parallel, you can get a really cool look into the local energy of the place. And you can even go ahead and book a in-person tour to the various spots in the Rights of the 40th Parallel. And our friend Scott, who I met in Pennsylvania when Mike had one of these tours going on. I had the pleasure of joining along and filming the tour for Mike. Scott was a patron for some time and probably still listens to the show. Shout out to you. And uh, I took part in a tour that he went on. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. But who knows? Maybe we'll do something very soon uh, or in the next couple months, maybe when it gets warmer, where folks 
in the local area, New England, New York, or maybe even farther, if you're adventurous like me, you guys can come and uh, take a tour of Connecticut and see all the strange stuff we got over here. Uh, anyways, that about does it for today's episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I do have to give a shout out to our latest patron. We have a patron that just joined up, and we got to give him a spirit animal name. Uh, one of them, I think, already had a spirit animal name, but I don't remember. So we're just going to give them another one for the sake of it. But here we go. Let's see. Let's be real clear and check the post. Make sure that we're not. Okay, so last time we did spirit animal names, talked to, uh, we talked about Coco Pelly Dolphin and Whirling Lion. So, yes, we do have some new spirit animal names to give out. So, three, as a matter of fact. So shout out to Rob B., shout out to Nancy Buckingham, and shout out to Ryan Costello. And, you know, in light of the whole Native American conversation, I just want to clarify that. We know that the spirit animal name is not related to any particular culture. It's just a concept and I in no way think that I am some kind of shaman giving people an actual spirit animal name. So don't give me this social justice warrior crap. Uh, it's just a fun way for us to give nicknames to the to the sh supporters, really. I don't know. And not all these animals even live in North America. So it's not really uh, related to that type of thing anyways. So here we are, folks. Social justice warriors, beware. Spirit animal names, here we go. So first up, we have Nancy. Shout out to Nancy B. We got a spirit animal name for you. Drawing from the cards randomly. You hear that shuffling going on in the background. It's all random, folks. I don't pick these names. Sometimes they come out cool. Sometimes they come out interesting unique who knows but maybe it's going to be significant to you where you are in your life so check out the information you might be able to find online about the esoteric significance of these animals when you get a spirit animal name or just direct message me and i'll tell you a little bit of what i know all right so oh this is a good one Nancy B, you are the Dreamtime Zebra. You got the Dreamtime card, which represents unlimited vision. And you got the Zebra card. There was a, another Zebra that I was talking to recently, or I think a, recently we had a Zebra join in. But cool, multiple Zebras in the gang. Thank you for supporting the show. Next up is someone who is a big-time supporter, and I think I gave him a spirit animal name already so let's go back and look just to be double sure because i don't want to give him two and then people feel left out so ah i don't know rob it's not in the thing it's not on the post so you're gonna get a spirit animal name right here right now and if you don't like it that's fine but if you remember the other one i gave you it's up to you take your pick so here we go Rob B, you are the wise lizard. 
you got the Northern Shield card, which represents wisdom and gratitude. And you also got the Lizard card. Shout out to Rob B. He's a real G, close to home, and has helped me out and learned me, or learned me. He's taught me some cool things about our local area. So shout out to Rob. Thanks for your support, brother. And then last but not least, our latest patron, Ryan C. Shout out to you, Ryan. Your spirit animal name is coming right up hot and fresh out of the kitchen. Here we go. Shuffling the cards one last time here. Ryan C., you are. Ooh, this is a cool one. You're the joyful snake or the. Yeah, I think Joyful Snake is cool. You got the Hour of Power card with the Ritual of Joy. That's what that symbolizes, a Ritual of Joy. So, And you got the Snake card. Right on. Joyful Snake, Dreamtime Zebra, Wise Lizard. Shout out to everyone supporting the podcast. And, of course, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in for this great conversation. With Darren Grimes from the Gramerica Show. Go check him out at Gramerica.ca. Sign up for their plus show, Gramerica Outlawed, where they get into all the most censorable, bannable topics. And you know what? We're in that time period where this is media now, folks. Hence the name of my cooperative, which Gramerica and Gramerica Outlawed are also a part of. You know, this is the age of alternative media. You can't trust the Mockingbird media anymore. So tune into a podcast and support your local podcasters because this is the future. Thank you so much and enjoy the moment wherever you are.